Greetings and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to C-SPAN for Video Games, as a certain someone once called it, the Unverse cast. Uh, we're here to talk about God of War Ragnarok, and uh, we've brought along some guests, so how about everybody, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Exo. I don't remember saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember calling okay, it? If, if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to refer to us as NPR, but we're not that prestigious. Uh, I'm King K. NPR? Yeah. Oh, I at least have the voice for it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's true. Okay, well, I'm somebody who's known by like 18 different names. I was uh, going to say, what if, would you rather we refer to you as? Okay, this is the weird like dichotomy I've pigeonholed myself into. It's like, if you are my friend... If I know you personally, you've earned the right to call me TGX because that's my previous handle. Yeah. And it would be cursed if you guys called me anything but. <laughs> However, if you don't know me, if you don't know me, I very much prefer you call me by my new handle. I can't make you call me by my new handle, but that's what I would prefer. And that is, of, of course, TBP. Okay. That's like, that's right, guys. I'm fucking breaking kayfabe. Woohoo. <laughs> and I'm Christopher Judge, <laughs> the actor and voice actor. <laughs> Of Kratos. Uh, well, you can be a much worse Christopher. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm not saying it anyways. <laughs> I expect you to go on a 12-minute diatribe about the voice performances, if you are indeed Christopher Judge. No <laughs> hate to him, by the way, but that was a very interesting moment of the Game Awards. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> what do you mean, him? I mean, look, it's not so easy to write a speech. <laughs> so, you know what? That's true. How about when mm. you win an award? We'll hear yeah. your little speech. <laughs> yeah. Mine will go on for like 30 minutes. Well. I'm like Jeff very upset. I have a feeling that King K will one day win the award for best Atlantean king. Because <laughs> well, uh, NPR center. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, this is a little secret that many people don't know. Uh, king K is actually a, a 60 foot Atlantean king and uh, his human, his human form is actually very limiting. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And this this man, I, I've I've met y'all in real life, and uh, King mm. is just like a giant. He he towers over everybody. I, I heard sixty thousand feet, but I don't remember where. Yeah, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we're here to talk about God of War Ragnarok for the PlayStation Four and Five. There's going to be a lot to cover here. Like I actually wrote down notes because I didn't want to forget anything. Um. And it's kind of hard to know where to start, but I think where we will start is just our history with the God of War franchise leading up to Ragnarok, so we can kind of have a grounding for our discussion. And why don't you start us off, Bacon, since uh, you've done a lot of God of War content recently. Oh, wow. You're starting off uh, starting off with the... Okay, well, it's funny because, uh, you know, if, if you, Hadox, King K, and Ryan are like the original Four Horsemen, I'm like this Steve Mongo McMichael of the group, right? That won't mean anything to any of you, uh, but like three people in the comment section will be like, haha, I get it. So anyways, I uh, started playing God of War uh, in 2010. I was introduced to the franchise in 2008. Uh, I believe I had the Guinness Book of World Records Gamers Edition for 2008 and had a full page spread on God of War. It was something that really intrigued me for a while. Then uh, my sister bought the HD version. I kind of backseated it with her and then I didn't get a chance to play it myself until 2010. Became a really big fan, kind of fell off with the franchise for like five, six years, uh, you know, while I went through my nothing but platformers phase, which I've <laughs> thankfully grown out of. Um, 
and then, yeah, in 2020, I, uh, cause I'd kind of been peripherally a fan for a couple years. And then in 2020, I kind of went back and replayed a whole bunch of my old favorite games. Mm-hmm. I kind of rediscovered my love for that franchise. And since then it's kind of become a staple of my YouTube channel. And I mean, I kind of made the point to King K in private. Um, yes, we speak in private. Uh, <laughs> well, I oh, kind of yes, made the point. I kind of made, <laughs> I kind of made the point to him that, okay, so we kind of me, him and EXO. I don't know about, I don't know about, uh, what are the, the other Jag balls that's, that's here. Um, <sighs> but we kind of represent the different steps of fandom. Like I'm kind of the top step. I'm, I'm an unashamed fanboy of God of War. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I kind of consider EXO to be kind of the step below that where it's like you're a fan, but you're not like crazy about it. And King is just kind of like kind of hovering below that. He's never really shown that much of an interest, but he still like, you know, likes the franchise. Or maybe I've got those two mixed up. Either way, I kind of consider myself an unashamed fanboy of the series. And that's kind of where I stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because King has made a God of War video before. He reviewed the first one, didn't he? I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never taught. Like, I'm going to have to record the first two games for the Lords of Shadow review I'm working on, but yeah, otherwise I haven't talked about them on the channel at all. You make videos? I used to a long time ago. Um, Eric, <laughs> why don't you, Eric, uh, how about you go next? Tell us about our shared experience with the God of War franchise, since you are my brother after all, for those who don't know. True. So I don't remember who got it. We had that like PlayStation 3 collection of like god of war or whatever like the first trilogy yeah um and i don't know i don't remember did you did you get that okay so what happened was i was dating a girl at the time who introduced me to playstation because eric and i were both nintendo kids a little bit eric was a little bit more into the xbox stuff later on he played a lot of halo back in the day but i had a girlfriend at the time who was like hey you should play kingdom hearts and i'm like what's that and I'm like, oh, I guess I guess I've got to buy this PlayStation 2 console. So I got a PS2. And I was like, hey, wait a minute, Sony has games too, and they're actually pretty good. Uh, I think that parts was too violent, so you got God of War. Yeah. Well, what what happened was, um, you and I actually pooled our resources to buy a used PS3 together. You remember this at all? Vaguely. And I I still own that PS3 to this day. I have it, and you don't. So. I guess anytime you want to <laughs> come calling for the time, it's it'll be time to pay the piper at some point. But you don't know this, but you've been stacking up two dollars of interest every day. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I want to say it was definitely you who got God of War because obviously, like I, you, you would know this better than I did. But in 2013, I went to Minnesota to look for colleges, and I rented a little game called Castlevania: Lords of Shadow. And I asked you to try it and you liked it. And that might have motivated you to try God of War. I don't know. You would you would only know this. I uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Honestly, I remember us kind of playing and talking about Lords of Shadow, though, because you would quote everything from the game for like years. Point being, Eric definitely got the God of War collection. It was the Saga collection that came with the HD collection of the first two games. The third game, and then like download codes for the remake or the PS3 ports of the PSP games. Yeah, everything except for Ascension. Yeah. Um, and for, I think it must have been a used copy because we definitely did not get the download codes for the PSP games. <laughs> so I actually had to go buy those from the Sony store to try them out recently. They're, they're impressive little games, but, um, and Eric, uh, 
Eric was the one who actually played them. I only, it's kind of like you, uh, Bacon, where I only watched him play them. So I kind of knew them through osmosis. And Eric, why don't you tell us more about that experience of, of God, playing God of War Let for the first time? Let me tell you about this cool experience. Um, so I, you know, I don't really, I'm not that into spectacle fighters. Um, honestly, it's God of War and I played near the newer near when that came out. They're not the newest one, but. But yeah, with God of War, I don't know. I tried it and then I ended up playing it like the first one, like three times in a row or something. Because they have basically like when I really like a game, I'll go for the uh, like trophies or whatever. Yeah. Usually since that to me is like preferable to like only start speed running if I'm, I really want to keep playing a game. And usually then it's not for long. Um, mm. But with God of War, it like was Super like, Marion Drug Lord 65. That's right. Yeah. With that, with that it's just like, I, I want to play this game again, but what do I do? Um, but anyway, so uh, first one, I, uh, I don't know. I uh, ended up playing multiple times in a row because you got to like, there's like a speed run or whatever achievement, finish it fast enough or whatever. Um, but what I really like about the first one, and I, I think out of all of them, like, obviously it's the well, I don't know how much we're going to talk about this, but to me, it's like, okay, it's kind of rougher, but I like games that feel like, uh, like, uh, what do you, what do you call them? Like a, like an, an Odyssey type. Uh, I, I call them masterpieces. Well, you know, like a, like a Odyssey or like, oh. I don't know where it feels like, okay, you got to go over and accomplish this thing. Yeah. That's part of why I like the first Dark Souls more than the other ones. Cause to me, it feels similar to God of War in that, okay, you know, you got to go find Pandora's box, and it feels like each step is, like, big and epic. Um, so kind of like a single unbroken sequence of events. Yeah, or like single white female on DVD. But um, I think what <laughs> most... To, to me, God of War 1 captures that the most. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, just, I don't know. To me, it's like this perfect mixture of uh, over-the-top fun um, with, like, just ridiculous bi- violence and... <laughs> Uh, Kratos just screaming Ares and Zeus at the top of his lungs. <laughs> and then, of course, like legitimately interesting kind of dynamic with hating and basically fighting against the gods that you don't, I don't know. Obviously, that's something I think that the series does that's interesting, which is, you know, the gods aren't like good guys. They're all, like, for the most part, evil and self-serving. So you're kind of playing as like a like a straight up villain, especially once you get to three. Uh, anyway, but slight disagreement. But you like still, I don't know. It's like a weird anti-hero. Thing, yeah, but definitely anti-hero. Anyway, but like worse than that, almost. <laughs> He's like so fucking evil. Just like well, you in the third one, even though it's like you still haven't played God of War three, right? No. <laughs> so there you I've, go. Uh, I've seen it. Here's okay. Here's what, listen. Here's what happens. <laughs> I I played the first and second one back to back and like completed them like 100% with all the trophies and yeah. stuff. So by the time I got to three, I was too exhausted even for Rip Torn. <laughs> so uh, that was that something was I want to mention. And then because obviously we have the Kingdom Hearts lore master here in the chat with us. And um, Zeus in, in God of War 2 and 3, and I think also in Dad of Voice, voiced by Corey Burton. And Corey Burton voiced, what the hell is his name? Sora? Sid, Yen Sid. He was Yen Sid in Kingdom Hearts. And Kingdom Hearts 3 had Zeus in it, who was voiced by ah. Rip Torn. 
And God of War 3 has Hephaestus, who is voiced by Rip Torn. So it's all connected, you see. Kingdom Hearts and God of War are the same thing. Of course. Yeah. Well, but, which I is, mean, especially now that Sora's in Smash, he's just connected to everything. Yeah. I mean, I would so. love to see Kratos rip Sora's head off, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, speaking of our Kingdom Hearts lore master, what's, what's your experience with the God of War franchise? I've only... I did not get exposed to this when I was younger at all, really. I knew it existed, but I just never played them until I made the video on the first game in, I think, 2018. I don't like that video anymore, by the way, but it's still up. <laughs> I think that was, like, one of the filleriest of filler videos that ever could exist on my channel. Um, I sometimes forget that it was ever there, but that isn't to say I dislike God of War. I actually... I played through one and two. I have not played past that. So I played, this is the weirdest shit. I think <laughs> I played the new God of War. Well, it's not new anymore. The 2018 God of War I played. Uh, Dad of Boy. Yeah. And then I played God of War one and two. And then I played Ragnarok. Okay. <laughs> um, so it, it's been an interesting journey. I don't know why I never played three, to be honest. I think after two, I was a little... I think maybe same as Eric. I was a little exhausted. I didn't go after all the trophies or anything. Um, yeah. But at the end of two, I was like, well, these games are pretty fun, but uh, I'm going to move on for a you little know, while. That's a shame because uh, I think I, I certainly think this, and I've talked to both Ryan and Jay, and they both agree as well that three is the best of the original trilogy. I'm not sure if Exo thinks that. I definitely agree with that. I think three is by far the best of the original series God of War games. Yeah. So it's just kind of well, a shame. I that, certainly, yeah. I do want to get around to that at some point because I feel like I am missing out because it seems like a cool spectacle and I like games like that. Yeah. So just don't uh, just uh, make sure not to eat before you do so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think the stuff that I've watched, like <laughs> media wise, it's I, I just feel jaded to that kind of thing. I don't think anything like that could ever bother me again. Mm. So you've seen really. Elfin Lead. I, <laughs> I did when I was young, yes. Yeah, this is a complete side tangent, but I'm kind of the same way. But if you've ever watched, uh, was it Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, the TV show, <laughs> uh, there's one moment, there's one moment, I think it was the moment where, um, actually there's a couple moments in that show that actually genuinely got me. It broke through all my barriers, and that's the one thing that's been able to do that for like the past five years. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that. You need to. I, yeah, I, I should I, try. I recommend it. <laughs> well... Um, speaking of my experiences with God of War 3, like I said, I did not play while I was exposed to the, the games around 2013. Like, I think Eric was playing God of War 2 when I was playing like Castlevania Order of Ecclesia on like DS or something in the background. So I, I, I was like hearing all the cutscenes and stuff, but I didn't actually sit down and play them until earlier this year. Um, and I just sort of marathoned all of them, except the PSP games. I still need to play those. Well, I've played them for like five seconds, but I haven't finished them is what I mean. God of War 1, honestly, I don't think it's aged very well. I would like to see Blue Point Games do like an HD remaster or something and just kind of tighten up the controls. There's a lot of sections in it that feel kind of f like I think the game's biggest problem is its pace or it just feels like every enemy has too much health and there are too many enemies and everything takes too long. Like, the parts that I really hate are the parts where you're on, like, the ropes. You're climbing across the ropes and enemies just show up to block your progress every two steps. I think the best thing about God of War 1 is definitely its story. I think it's 
you know, an effective origin story for Kratos really kicks off the series well and sets up the sequels in a way, but it also works well as a standalone adventure, you know, working up to Ares felt pretty satisfying, but then again, like Eric was talking about the Pandora's box and I distinctly remember a part when I was playing where I reached the end of Pandora's temple and I'm like, oh, thank God, I'm finally going to get the box. And then the Cliffs of Madness start. I was <laughs> like, what? There's more? And it just kept going. And that's, that's kind of how I feel about the first two God of War games. Because the second God of War, I think, God of War 2, I feel like you could definitely make a case as better than the first one because they add a lot of mechanics, uh, like the grappling and the combat feels smoother and the bosses are way better. There's this Minotaur boss in God of War 1 that might be one of the worst boss fights I've played in a hot minute. It just goes on forever. And God of War 2 doesn't have that problem. But God of War 2 kind of... Because, like, you could make the argument that 1 and 2 are the same in this regard. But it just felt like everything after Zeus killed you in Rhodes, everything between that and the Temple of the Fates just felt like filler. Where it's just like... We all know that Kratos is going to get to the temple and kill the fates. It's going to happen eventually, but it just, everything on the Isle of Creation just goes on and on. And I wouldn't be surprised if Eric doesn't even remember anything that happens on the Isle of Fates, because a lot of it is just in Ooh. one ear out the other. Like, do you remember the part where you fight Theseus on a horse, a giant stone horse? Because I only sort of remember no, that part. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember most of God of War 2. Yeah, and it's I don't either. Although I only played it once, like in 2018. But I think it makes that's been a long time though for me. So the final boss with Zeus is great, and I think that's kind of where it sparks to life. But then at the end, you don't even kill Zeus; he gets away, and you kill Athena instead. I mean, like the the self sacrifice moment, and learning that he's Zeus is actually Kratos' father was kind of cool. Is, but this is totally unrelated to what you're talking about. But I would like to thank God of War 2 for my knowledge of the PS4 controls, the buttons. I was, I was struggling until, <laughs> until that QTE. I will release you from your life, my son, but your torment that is I only remember. just I'll remember beginning. that for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, that, that QTE sequence at the end of, yeah. But then you get to God of War 3 and it's... You know what, Zeus? If you were to have just let just just freedom from his 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 pain from the beginning, none of this would have happened. Just saying. Yeah, that's that's the whole irony of everything <laughs> is that he refused to take the nightmares away, and then because of that, Greece is destroyed. Uh, and speaking of which, God of War three, fantastic. Um, I, everything that I didn't like about the first two games, I thought was fixed, and there, I I feel like there's a problem with a lot of trilogies in that. It's kind of like the Matrix Reloaded Resurrections problem where all of the plot is in the second movie and then the third movie is just a giant climax that goes on forever, like the Hobbit Battle of Five Armies kind of deal. Or you have a Rise it's of like Sky. Halo, Halo as well. Yes, Halo 3 has the same problem. Eric and I have discussed this many times <laughs> uh, off camera, but God of War 3, I feel, doesn't have that problem. I feel like the whole thread with Pandora gives it a competent narrative arc that a lot of third installments don't have. I thought the final battle with Zeus was really satisfying. Like, one of my favorite parts was, at the end, you're just wailing on his face nonstop. 
and then at a certain point he dies and you're still punching him and then you realize wait a minute did he die and then you stop punching and you realize he died like a minute ago and you've just been punching him for no reason uh that was great blinded Um, by rage and bacon you might know this but you mentioned in a lot of your videos that kratos can't kill himself by his own hands where is that explained is that in like a secret ending to three I think that was in one of the comics that was maybe a tie into God of War 2018. I don't remember specifically where it's from, but I do specifically remember hearing from one of the uh, one of the bigger God of War lore tubers that yeah, there is some there is something to do with the fact that he cannot die by his own hands, and that's why he's uh, that that's kind of like one of the big narrative arcs of the series and also um another thing that's uh present as well is that he can never get rid of the blades of chaos because they are forever tied to his forever tied to him in some you know wibbly wobbly way or whatever and uh so he's tried multiple times to get rid of them and they've always ended up with him back with him and that's why you know they're with him in god of war 2018 as opposed to like the blades of exile or whatever blades of dave mm. the blades of Athena. blades of dave yes uh I also played Ascension. Uh, I don't know if any of you besides Bacon have played Ascension. I thought, because like, Bacon, I know you really appreciate the story in that game. At least you've told me so, so off the record. I thought mm-hmm. that game was thoroughly pointless. I got almost nothing out of it. And there's like a part after you fight the first Fury where you go to like a village or something. And that happens immediately after. And it took me like two hours to realize that was a flashback. So that was confusing. <laughs> um, it just kind of felt like we just got this explosive finale with uh, God of War 3, and now we're talking about a story that was never mentioned in any of the previous games. And not in a good way, like the PSP yeah. games, where they talk about like demos and stuff, and kind of set up God of War 2 and 3 through that. You know, It just felt like we, need, we wanted to make another God of War game, so we told this story. I don't know. Not very impressed, personally. Ascension... Ascension's definitely the game that made me realize, okay, it's a definitely a good thing they they switched up the formula for the next game because Ascension really was where the formula started to wear thin, especially with all the quote-unquote changes they made. It's like, oh, now we're changing the combat engine to this. It's like, yeah, we're changing it up and making it demonstrably worse. <laughs> yeah, because uh, like the magic system in Ascension just sucks. Because it's, it's basically a thing like you avoid getting hit. It's kind of like the immolation and permafrost from the new games where like it, it adds a elemental effect to your attacks. Uh, but if you get hit once, that all goes away. So, or at least that's what I remember. But we should probably all talk about Dad of Boy. That's the name that Bacon has given to God of War 2018 because that's kind of important when discussing Ragnarok. Uh, personally, I loved God of War 2018, Data Boy. Uh, I thought it was excellent. When I was marathoning these games, it was such a breath of fresh air, especially after Ascension, to play that and have like, okay, new setting, new systems, new mechanics, new characters. And I wasn't as familiar with Norse mythology as I was Greek, so I, I learned a lot from playing that game. And that was, uh, cause like, for most of us, our exposure to Norse mythology is probably just like the MCU, the the Thor movies. So uh, it was kind of interesting to see a more likely authentic interpretation of that lore. So, and uh, Eric, you have a lot of experience with Data Boy, right? Yeah, I played it like three times, I think. 
And uh, yeah, I remember when it came out, I don't know, I wasn't that interested. I don't, I think you had a, the PS4 or whatever. Um, so I was like, I wasn't really on my radar. But I was, it seems like, okay, there are a few people who were like, oh, they ruined Kratos or they have their issues with the game. And there are issues that I think <sighs> are kind of overlooked. But to me, it was pretty extraordinary what they managed to pull off, both in terms of kind of making a, uh, such a, like a, huge well-received game but not just that but also pretty overall well-received by like hardcore fans and stuff as well with such a basically change in direction um unless your name so, is Ryan. yeah yeah so my experiences yeah i know i played it um a couple times when it came out and once more recently in anticipation for ragnarok mm-hmm. and dan you said that dad of boy was your first god of war game yes at least i believe it was I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Unless there's some childhood memory that I've never awakened. But yeah, I'm fairly confident. It, I played it when it came out. I haven't really ever returned to it, or I don't think I ever really will. Not to say it's like I don't like it, because I did quite enjoy my time with it when I was playing it. And I remember a lot of it quite fondly. I, I think it got a, a little repetitive for me at certain points and like, it seemed like it was a heartwarming story, but it, it was a bit like, I, I think it's too severe to say it was like a bland premise, but it, it was a little less high octane than God of War was, which was the point, but yeah. it was a little hard for me to acclimate to that. But, you know, I, I respect what they did there. I think there's something about it that will always be hard for me to explain that never fully connected with me. And it's why I've never felt like sure, going sure. back or th- I haven't really thought about it much, but it was pretty, yeah, you know, it was a well put together game that I enjoyed in 2018 quite a bit. And so we, we should not seeing as we've kind of brought up, there's like contingent of folks who don't really like the new direction of these Norse era games. Ryan is one of them. And the reason he's not on this particular podcast is that he wasn't really interested in playing Ragnarok because he didn't like, dad boy all that much and ragnarok is a pretty long game so i don't blame him and it's expensive too it's like 70 dollars for a ps5 copy so yeah so that's why he's i also think basically everything he hated about data boy is in ragnarok in some form so he probably wouldn't like it anyway yeah and we'll make sure to when we do the end of year podcast talking about this year in gaming we'll make sure to have ryan you know, if he's interested, talk about his experiences with the new era of, of God of War. But yeah, that's why he's not on this particular podcast. But uh, yeah, Bacon, uh, what what did you think of Dad of Boy? Well, first of all, I just wanted to say that it is a shame that Ryan's not here, because uh, if we weren't going to gang up on him, I would at least love it if we could uh, both break out into song at least once. <laughs> that would be fun. And if you don't remember, that's actually a thing. <laughs> when, when we were uh, hanging out last, that was actually something we both did. We both uh, broke out into Wonder Boy by Tenacious D while we were drunk. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to wild shit happened there. Yeah. I got married to Ryan and then divorced. <laughs> and then uh, I nobody knows took what the, the fuck kids. we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah um, okay. Oh, yeah. So uh, my experience is with uh, with Dad of Boy. And incidentally, I'm not the one who coined that. That was something I just kind of came up with, but also had been coined by other people before. It's kind of an obvious thing to say. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah. When I first saw uh, Dad of Boy be announced in, uh, was it E3 2016? I was a little bit nonplussed because it, it, it did look like, at that point, I was kind of like, 
still in the mindset of, you know, it's far too different and therefore ruined. And yeah, I wasn't at the time really willing to give it a chance. And then when it came out in 2018, everybody was giving universal praise. I was like, yeah, God of War is finally mature, this and that and this and that. I'm like, hey, 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 watch your, watch your damn mouth. Watch your whore ass mouth there. Okay. <laughs> you might need to censor that. God of War was always good. God of War was always deep, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then imagine this when I actually got around to playing it myself. Cause yeah, when I, when I replayed the uh, original six games in 2020 and kind of fell back in love with the series properly, I then decided, Hey, I'm going to give this new game a shot. Uh, and what do you know? I, I played it and I'm like, Oh, this is actually a lot better than I could have ever given it credit for. Yeah. Like I thought, as King said, the combat is, it does get a little bit repetitive after a while in the sense that, you know, it doesn't evolve quite as much as the earlier games, but uh, I enjoyed it pretty much front to back. It never wore too thin for me, wore too thin for me, uh, grammar. And <laughs> for me, it was also a matter of the story for me was also charming and well put together enough that it kind of made up for the game's shortcomings. So mm -hmm. I was able to uh, come out of it with a very positive experience and seeing Kratos kind of evolve from the person he was to the person he now is and just w seeing all the ways his previous existence and kind of informed his current existence was so compelling seeing him yeah. open up to Atreus with the crippling fear that he did that he might hurt Atreus in the same way that he hurt uh, Calliope or Lysandra it was very very compelling front to back pretty much for me yeah yeah I especially like there's a lot of scenes in dad of boy where he you know Atreus is upset and Kratos is like reaching towards Atreus to comfort him, but then backs off where like you can yeah. tell he has a Yeah, that was probably one of the most memorable scenes for me when I first saw him do that when he's hunting the deer. It, it, I like when stories do that kind of thing when they're a little more subtle. <laughs> yeah. Bombarded by fucking sub subtext, quote unquote, left and right. And these new fucking stories that come out. Is that was across some... different media? I mean, that's part of what made God of War 3 so resonant for me was like the themes of parenthood and how, you know, if Kratos hadn't lost his family, he may have turned out to be a very different person and Pandora almost redeemed him, but Zeus just couldn't shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> so, and because of that, Greece is destroyed. So, yeah. Yeah. So dad of boy, uh, excellent. Um, seems like we all at least enjoyed the game to some extent, which brings us to the topic of today's podcast, Ragnarok. What's our, what's our first impressions? As, or as I prefer to call it, dad of boy, Rabadu. <laughs> so what's our first impressions of dad of boy, Rabadu? It reminds me of Phineas and Ferb. Hmm. In what way? <laughs> so, you know, have you, have you seen Phineas and Ferb? Yes. It's a, now it's a good show, right? Yeah. Very, very clever and very funny at points. But it is a tad annoying, right? Ferb, I know what we're going to do today. My cupcake in the door. Where is this going? 
it's you know what I mean. He, he, Aren't he, you a little old to be? Da, 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 did you we're, just open up a book of Mad Libs or something? <laughs> but, <laughs> what Eric is saying is that there's a lot of shit that they do in every single episode of Phineas and Ferb, and it's cute at first, but it gets annoying we're after going a while. To war, boy! No, we're not going to war. Do you believe in prophecy? <laughs> This is always vengeance. For me, it feels like, I don't know. I felt like part of what I loved about God of War uh, 2018 was I feel like what made it great was there was a few exceptional things, I think. Um, like I was always really interested in Kratos, which is kind of unfair coming in if you already like a character, I guess. But also that, uh, that sort of chatter dialogue. Um, it was able to make even the boring stuff like climbing and being in the boat. Uh, yes at least for me entertaining but other than that it's not like there was to me anything that's super exceptional in 2018 it was just that everything was pretty good and it had these couple of things that all together kind of made it really work and for me i personally felt like if i you know if you love ragnarok more power to you but i'm a little bit of a (laughs) i'm pretty negative about it because i feel like it kind of suffered in every way almost except for maybe like combat but that, to me, was never the, the best thing about it. Um, and there's some stuff that really annoyed me. And one of those things is the fact that it has these basically themes. Um, but because the game is so long that you're going from place to place, having the same chatter over and over about, at some point, like, less than halfway through the game, I'm like, I do not give a fuck about prophecy anymore. <laughs> um, but. Mm-hmm. Which we could certainly yeah, discuss when we, get, talk about it. when we get more into the story, because... I have a lot to say about that as well. King, what did you think? Uh, this is tough because the more distance I get, I beat the game like last week and it, it was like a trawl for me. I was playing it. I mean, granted, I was busy with a lot of other things, but yeah. it was also like, I'm not going to lie, getting the energy to play it when I did get to play it was a little tough because... I did not dislike the game and I wouldn't even say it was like a meh for me or anything. Like I liked it, but it was like, I I think it was like a similar process to the original where I'm like, nothing about it was like grabbing me really intensely. It was just sort of like, I kind of wanted to see how it ended, you Mm -hmm. know, like the combat was still like, it was fun, but it was getting kind of repetitive again. Um, They did a lot to like, remedy that with like more interesting boss fights and stuff but like at the end of the day it felt like extremely structurally similar to the original and it was um there were points at which i was getting kind of bored and like the more distance i get from it the more i realize that i'm not like as soon as i finished it, it i was kind of like okay i'm done thinking about this and i'm gonna move on so it's like it sounds really negative but i don't yeah it's so hard because i don't think i disliked it truly i think i like it more than the original and there are a lot of cool moments in there but it's it's kind of like a i'll probably never return to it and it was cool to have experienced it but i'm glad to be moving on i guess sort of thing like it, it was a i respect what they made here it probably took a lot of fucking work to make yeah, this game yeah. work the way that it does. But um, it's just, I don't think these games are entirely my thing. I like them, but I'm just not crazy about them, you know? Yeah. Um, and 
obviously I I'm expecting that you're going to come at this from a completely different angle, Bacon, just based on the videos you've made recently. Yeah. So that's, it's kind of hard to articulate my opinion on this game very succinctly because it's not a succinct game whatsoever. Yeah. I think, (laughs) I think it's one of those things where while I'm playing it, while I was playing it, nothing about, uh, what the game did wrong was really in my mind. So I'm like, now that I've kind of had some distance from it and I've thought, okay, well, this could have done better. They could have done this better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm kind of wondering like, okay, is this really something that is, that really matters while I'm playing the game? For example, the final battle, for example, and I'm, I won't spoil anything, mm-hmm. but like the final battle could have been done better. What, but that really wasn't in my mind at the time. So if I were to replay this, would that still not be in my mind or would that uh, yeah. be something that's consistently on my mind while I'm playing? And that's kind of like as I gain more distance, I kind of realize these things. But at the same time, I was so gripped while I was playing it that none of that really mattered to me. So I think I feel like, honestly, I'm, I'm the one that's probably going to get ganged up on here, unlike Ryan. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, by the way. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, so I mean, I I loved the game generally. Uh, I think a lot a lot of uh, the kind of issues I take with it kind of come from the fact that there's just so fucking much of it. Um, yeah, you know, there's the uh, obviously there's the pacing issues that uh, I think we're probably going to get into, like how uh, the Ironwood is just big old slog. <laughs> oh, in the first, God, I'd Ironwood. say like you know, <laughs> and you know, and, and you know, once you get past the uh, intro, it, it, there's kind of a lengthy cooling off period, shit like that. So it is one of those things where I generally really like the game, but Mm -hmm. there are things that I definitely do not like about them, but that doesn't, doesn't change the fact that this is a game that gave me so much fucking feels. It is possibly the most feelsy game I've ever played. And I will say without any shame whatsoever, it made me cry at one point. So it's like, it's, it's a very complicated game to talk about in a lot of cases. Yeah. You were crying during Ironwood, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh God! You know, I, there, I I was about to make a joke, but I'm like, oh God! I, even if I, I said that crying. ironically, people would not uh, would would not take too kindly you, to it. You just were just bawling <laughs> on the floor when Gryla's cauldron I broke. I was crying. Listen, if somebody forced me to play to sit down and watch three hours of like Maze Runner and Divergent movies, I would cry. <laughs> So I was crying. I I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Those are like, what the hell do you call them? Young adult novels that were adapted into films. Uh, Dystopian young YA novels. Yeah. You know, actually, that that reminds me. Uh, it's it's funny. Uh, before I played Dad of Boy, I never actually uh, I, I was never really familiar with uh, Norse mythology outside of the big names. Yeah. But then between Dad of Boy and Dad of Boy Rabidou, I binged the entire Magnus Chase series, which is Rick Riordan's uh, take on Norse mythology, and I learned a lot of shit. And it's funny because Ingrid, uh, the living sword, mm. I remember when Freyr summoned Ingrid, and I popped so fucking hard for that, because it's like, yo, it's Superbrander! <laughs> that was a cool moment. Oh, but that is, that's one of those moments that goes completely against uh, Norse mythology, but that's uh, that would take too long to explain. So That is true. If if you don't have that background, there isn't that. Well, that's like like if you like Michael said, if you know more about Greek mythology, then there's stuff in like the original trilogy that you can be like, oh my god, I know that. As oh my god, to, uh, it's Theseus. 
Oh my god, it's Perseus trying to meet the fates. Then he dies. The end. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's I <laughs> clapped. I clapped when I saw Perseus. Get oh, hanged from a chain and be used as a rope to get down to the lower <laughs> level. <laughs> oh man. You know, it's funny because Perseus is like the one person in all of Greek mythology who had a happy ending, so that was a little bit tragic. <laughs> it's funny that you Even mentioned the happy ending is tragic. It's funny that you mentioned getting ganged up on bacon, because that's I was totally prepared to come into this podcast. I knew what Eric's opinion was, but I was totally prepared. I had a bit prepared where I was going to be like, you guys are all going to hate me again, you know, but now apparently I'm, I have a more positive opinion on this game than King, which I didn't expect where I, I pretty much am somewhere in the middle of all of you. Like Eric, I think I prefer dad of boy and looking back on it. I'm not sure if that's, if I loved dad of boy so much just because by Ascension, I was so like done with the original series and appreciated dad of boy because it was so different or if because the game was actually that good i can't really tell i would have to replay it again once you know after i put some distance from these games but yeah i was feeling a lot of the same things eric felt about the story i was feeling a lot of the same tedium that uh king was feeling like about the combat and the pacing and stuff and uh your criticisms are probably my criticisms we can get into it but like King was saying, this is a game that has so much fucking effort and ambition on display. Like, you compare Sonic Frontiers having to recycle assets from, like, 10-year-old games to, like, all of the unique voice dialogue and, like, all of the assets they had to, they had to model and stuff, and just, like, the sheer scope and scale and magnitude of this game. And it's, like, this is what AAA gaming is all about, is like these big experiences that you just can't get anywhere else. And that's that's Ragnarok to a T. But it's one of those games, it, it kind of has a little bit of the Sly 4 effect, where like the more you think about it, the worse it gets. It's not as bad as like a, an ancient tooth on Murray's necklace kind of contrived shit, but it's it's one of those things where like when you think back on a bunch of the plot details... It's like, wait, that had no payoff or that makes no sense. And we can talk about that. But it, it, I feel guilty because like it, this is a great game in many ways. And like I did enjoy it while I was playing it, much like Bacon was saying. But it's one of those things where, like King said, the more distance I put between myself and it, the more I'm remembering the things that didn't work than the things that did. So I guess we can get into it and we can kind of start with the gameplay. And I know that... Uh, Hold on. Important. Important. Yeah? Now, Michael and I, we did an <laughs> evil playthrough. Did you guys do the good or evil playthrough? Uh, did you guys? throw at the snowball at Sindri? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. I threw the fucking snowball at that fucker. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, see? Okay, so I actually played it again in, in, before this podcast. And I, I didn't throw the snowball. You know... <laughs> lives if you don't throw the snowball. <laughs> Spoilers! Dude, if only. Oh. Uh, Whoops. Yeah, it's brought, Sindri turns into a little sibling bitch because, because he got a snowball <laughs> thrown at him. If you don't, if you don't throw the snowball at Sindri, he doesn't <laughs> plot twist. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's, let's start yeah. with the gameplay. Yeah, you, know, you know who dies. 
Mm, There's a you know who dies, and he's just like totally okay with it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, he's a good guy at the end. (laughs) And And lives, and and, and he has a and he has a twerk off with Kratos. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well let's let's start with the gameplay. Um, because I think this was one thing that I didn't quite get because there's a lot there was a lot of people in your comment section, Bacon, who are talking about like, oh yeah, this is mechanically this is definitely a better game than the first. And I was kind of, yeah, why don't you kind of get into that? Because I think that's more your wheelhouse. Well, honestly, like, I'm not a game designer like you, uh, so I can't uh, really articulate properly exactly what it is that makes God of War Ragnarok, in my opinion, a better game from a gameplay standpoint. I just found that the combat flowed so much better. Like, you were able to string together uh, combos from various different weapons together. And I think, like, uh, was it Game Breaker God on Twitter? That guy has done so many crazy combos the just day after day with uh, Ragnarok and just the way you're able to string combos together and the way everything kind of flows into itself and, you know, the new abilities, you know, the different grapple abilities and the different shield abilities. Uh, the runic attacks weren't as big of a thing, and I was okay with that because they were more of an interruption to combat in the previous game than in addition to combat. If I may um, and, and interrupt, you know, have, I do the, find that I end up triggering the runic attacks more often by accident than on purpose, because I'm usually blocking, and then I press a button, and then I'm like, oh shit, I didn't mean to use my runic, but I just did. You fucking shit heal. <laughs> Anyways, pl- please continue. Skill issue. Uh, yeah, so, you know, also the wind-up attacks, and just Every it, it it just feels like everything flows so much better uh, to me in, in in Ragnarok, and that's not to say that uh, Dad of Boy uh, had a bad combat engine whatsoever. I thought no, it was sure, great sure, in that, yeah. but I also think that it it didn't quite have the same versatility. And as I said, it also relied a little bit too much on the different runic attacks in order to add variety. Where I feel like that's more that felt like it was an interruption to the combat, whereas. You know, all the additions to the combat in Ragnarok felt like uh, felt like they were proper uh, expansions to the concept rather than interruptions. And I've said interruptions like 12 times now. Sure, sure. Yeah, where it felt because like while you're using a runic, you can't move or cancel or anything. So I see what you mean by interruption. Yeah. And I know like um, King, when you had first started playing Ragnarok, you were like, oh, yeah, I definitely enjoy this more than the first one. Like, can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I think that it has a... The original God of War is very low-key, which is kind of by design. You know, they're they're kind of rebooting. Uh, rebooting is not the right word, but you know what I mean. They're kind yeah. of resetting everything. Refreshing um, the series. Yeah, and so it, it's a lower-key story about just spreading their mother's ashes in Jotunheim, um, mm-hmm. or the journey to do that anyway. And so opening Ragnarok and having it be as explosive as it was, it was kind of like, oh, it's like they injected some adrenaline into you, like from the get go. You're like, holy shit, things are like popping off. You fight like immediately. And it's like, (laughs) oh, shit, you know, like and I think at that moment I was like ready to keep going because I was like, holy shit, this is like they're really just taking the original and kind of injecting more of the original energy into it and when i say the original i mean like the original trilogy energy yeah yeah. of like this is getting a lot more explosive because the higher there there was this sense in the original that like odin and the higher tier gods were like 
Because you're just fucking around with like Balder and um, Thor's sons. So like you get to this Ragnarok and all of a sudden the fucking Allfather is knocking on your door. And it's like, mm, okay, yeah. this is a little bit scarier now. Like this, is, this isn't fun in games anymore. That, that scene was thoroughly tense. <laughs> yeah. And so opening with, I think it put the combat on a better pedestal because of that. Because you're immediately getting getting to grips with like this huge boss fight with thor and um i, I don't know it, like it felt like a faster start because they give you the the axe and the blades at the very beginning so you're not just stuck with the axe you know yeah um because i remember the beginning of dad of boy was like quite slow for me because there wasn't a lot that I felt you could do with that axe. And I think this just speaks to the limitations I inherently feel are present when you have to make the camera perspective the way that it is. Yeah. Which I understand the strengths of. It It puts you more in line with the character and it works really well for the story they're trying to tell, the lower key story. But I have never felt... It, it feels so much more awkward to battle in these games because... They're like the enemies are all around you, but you're it's like you're playing fucking Resident Evil 2 or something like you don't have that perspective. Like you you have to like look behind you and it, it takes so much like, yeah, how do I say this? It, it sounds dramatic to say it takes so much effort to turn the camera around. But when you're fighting like 10 enemies at once, the, the it, it fucking kind of does yard. take a lot to like, yeah, it, it kind of does take a lot to like look 180 degrees because then your your back is to somebody else and it's just compared to the originals where like you had a clear vision of everything going on yeah. and all you really had to worry about was like the combos you were flying out at people it felt a little bit more satisfying in that game so in this game it's like i think it's upgraded from the original in the sense that you have access to more of your tools at the beginning and in that sense, it's not necessarily that you have more options than you did in the original, or at least for most of the game until you get another weapon. But um, it, it felt like it eased you into it better and you got a lot more of your runic abilities faster. And it just kind of it's I think that the enemy design being a little bit less repetitive and the boss fights, especially being true. more varied, made it flow a lot better overall. But I'm still not like fully in tune with what's going on. And maybe that's like the point of it being a little bit more stripped back that Kratos isn't as savage as he used to be. But like, I don't know. It just, it makes the combat feel really repetitive and not something that I wanted to engage with much. Like I was originally yeah. going to do all these side quests and I did most of them. But at a certain point I was like, <laughs> I was so fatigued with the combat that I was eventually like, I'm just going to finish the game because I really <laughs> don't want to walk into like an elf temple and fight a bunch of fucking dark elves again. Like, because uh, oh. I was just tired. <laughs> I gotta say, I fucking hate Dark Elves. The way that they throw the fucking bombs everywhere, it drives me insane. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, I do, I do I want to... I mad just thinking about the Dark Elves. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you, I mean, like, you brought up a lot of things that I want to talk about as well, but I think the f one thing I did have a question about, because we have both King and Eric are big fans of the Soulsborne franchise or, you know, genre. Mm -hmm. How much, because like I've 
barely played any of those games. How much similarity is there between like this new version of God of War and the Souls games? Because don't they have like a similar camera and a slower pace? Uh, the camera is not quite over the shoulder as much as it is like, I mean, it's more zoomed in probably than the original God of War trilogy, but like it's, how do I say? It's like at a moderate distance from you. Mm-hmm. It's still behind you and you still move it around, but it's like it's zoomed out in comparison to these new God of War games. Yeah. Where it's like literally over your shoulder. Yeah, I would say like it's clearly inspired by and takes some elements by it. You would never mistake this for like a Souls well, a Souls yeah, like yeah. or anything like that in terms of the combat. It's not it's, like Tunic where they feels, literally rip feels, off Estus flasks. No, oh yeah, every other game has an Estus flask and a bonfire nowadays. um yeah yeah no i would say i was personally hoping that god of war 2018 would feel a little bit more like um and you know to to bring back the point like i have seen what's funny is when i saw like if you look at videos even in god war 2018 i haven't seen maybe they're even crazy in ragnarok but if you see people who have put like hundreds of hours in them like string together combos like it's crazy like like I could, I didn't even know that the game, like the combat could even look like that because yeah, but like yeah. in the first game, it's way too easy to converge on some like boring strategy, like especially in harder difficulties, like yes. in the early game, throwing the axe is the best in the middle game, spamming arrows with the Traeus is the best. Then runic spam is the best. And then you get to the Valkyries, in which case not being a little bitch is the best, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I don't know. The combat is, I wouldn't say, to me, I, you know what's funny is I did play Ragnarok, I didn't beat the whole thing, I said I played it twice, I played a little bit, just to like, because I didn't remember much of the beginning, yeah, since yeah. it's been a few weeks since I played it. But it's funny, on the harder difficulties, it just feels like it's got like that Borderlands 2 problem, or like, just general, I don't know if... I, there are a bunch of games that do this, but where this like they have too much health, and it feels like when you hit something, they don't react. Yes, enough, and then it just like you're just whacking away, and then it's just boring. And that's what it feels like on harder difficulties. On easy, on I played it, and then I tried playing it on like normal. And first of all, I beat half the game without dying once, as opposed to like it's like it goes from like just slamming over and over and over again on a health bar to trivial. Um, and this feels like there's no in between. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, there are way worse combat systems. I feel like, and that there is some fun here, especially when you have two and then three weapons as opposed to just one and then two. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I was, I was, I was done with it. That's th- that to me was never the the biggest draw. Um, which is funny because I'm normally very much a gameplay first kind of guy. I was very hesitant about 2018 because it felt like more of a story, like a modern Uncharted Last of Us yeah. type game. And I wasn't as interested. I, I remember we did like an E3 podcast in like 2017. And we I said like the same thing. This looks like Last of Us with God of War characters in it, which it sort of is, but also not really. I I think I agree with a lot of what uh, you guys have said so far. I, I want to talk about the camera in this game because I agree completely with King. There is a game, and I hate to do this, called Lords of Shadow 2, which translated a more traditional God of War type camera, fixed camera scheme. Technically, it was in Rygar as well. They translated that to like a full camera control kind of thing. And that game also has like an over the shoulder camera view. But 
it zooms out more during combat so you can actually see what's going on because like the complete over the shoulder shoulder camera angle and it's funny because i played all the resident evil games for the first time this year as well when you get to resident evil 4 and you have the over the shoulder camera angle the benefit of that is you get a sense of being closer to the character and especially in a horror game it gives you a sense of feeling overwhelmed but there's a big difference between fighting like six Ainharyar who have like these giant ridiculous health bars and a few Ganado that you can easily headshot, you know? Resident Evil is all about like maintaining a bunch of kind of easy enemies and trying to keep your distance and, you know, moving across the battlefield, switching out your weapons. Whereas God of War, I don't think really benefits from such a close camera. And I think you can really tell the weakness of it because they had to add, maybe this is just because I have some background in game design, but like I'm, I think all of you had a chance to test Dimensional Gears uh, at some point, the microwave game that I've mentioned yeah. like five times on the channel now. And that was a game where we have this weird mechanic that people didn't readily understand for good reason. And we had to add a bunch of extra features kind of around it to help players understand it more. Like we added an orbit view so that people would have an easier time kind of modeling the the layouts of the levels in 3d and figuring out where to go and stuff and that's kind of the same thing for the combat system in this game where it's like in the original game the camera zoomed out you can see everything at once like the original series six games whereas in this game it's zoomed in so close that you have to add a little arrow indicator at the bottom of the screen to tell you when someone's about to hit you and all of the characters have to constantly say you're on fire kratos it'll pass <laughs> You're covered in Bifrost, brother. Shield strike the, now. The last time in my playthrough that Mimir told me I was on fire, I'm like, yeah, fucking thank you, Mimir. I'm on fucking fire. <laughs> There's nothing to do about it either. You're just on fire. <laughs> Kratos, a big lead that is about to drop on your head. <laughs> Kratos, you just died. This is a fine mess. <laughs> It'll pass. It'll pass. <laughs> Like, Kratos, you've turned the PlayStation off. And it's like That'd be good. the characters will like yell at you if you don't block. They'll be like, I think Freya says, don't you know how to block? And then they're constantly telling you to shield strike, even though Not there's a big sick. blue signifier right in the middle of the screen to tell you to shield strike. Like after a while, it gets really condescending. Like, and the reason they had to do that is because you can't see anything. And after a while, it, I just wanted that camera to pull back. And I didn't really feel like that was as much of a problem with Data Boy because in that game, for the most part, you were dealing with easy enemies like Draugr or Hellwalkers. Occasionally, you'd fight an ogre, maybe a couple of revenants. You know, there was less enemy variety, sure, and that is definitely something you might that fight like eleven trolls. No, it never quite got that bad, but. I didn't finish the Crucible, so maybe that's in there, dude. It is that bad. Are you kidding me? There are like there are that <laughs> many trolls. At once? God of War 1. At once? Not at once, no. Because that's what not I thought a, you no, meant. No, not, not at once. Because, no. like, if we're talking about enemy variety, then Ragnarok definitely we talk, wins. Okay, hold on. Can we talk about how ogres... Can I complain about something? Sure, go ahead. Stop up. putting the Titan henchmen from Arkham Asylum in your damn act, oh. third-person action RPG. I, have, I feel like every game like that puts a puts like a big ogre or like that guy who like swings around and then you 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 stun them and then you jump on top 
right? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? The the ones where you use the enemies as a weapon and they're us- they usually have like the same well, body I mean, type. Not just that conceptually, but this specific bad guy who's like two times as tall as you and he's like that ogre. He's like the Titan Edgeman. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh you guys have all played the Arkham games, I, think they were I in assume. This game too. I I like vaguely remember what you're talking about. It is I it does actually seem like quite a common thing. This like I, hulking thing that you jump on top of and use it to fucking kill everybody. And they swing around and you've got two attacks, right? You can do the swing attack or you can do the slam attack, right? <laughs> and that's in like 50 games now. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Another thing that we were talking about, Eric was talking about the balancing. I, I wanted to ask, um, what difficulty did we all play on? I played on normal. Same. Whatever the standard one is. Give me balance. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had PTSD from taking on the Valkyries in the original that I was like, I'm just going to play on normal. <laughs> and when I got to that, the side quest equivalent of that in this game, and I tried that, I was like, oh, no, this, I'm going to avoid these at all costs because I don't feel like it. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. played on the second highest. on in this game. Yeah, that's what I played on on this game. Yeah. Like uh, the second. Okay. Have you tried normal though, Michael? I did. Uh, okay. So here's, here's what I did. Played the entire game on the second highest difficulty, and I felt exactly like Eric did. And I'm willing, I'm going to take some blame for that because I deliberately chose that difficulty, knowing it would be harder. But after a while, I do think it was a detriment to my experience because, like, like Eric says, and I don't really feel like he, your opinion on like the normal difficulty was accurate either because I feel like that. I feel like this game is noticeably harder than Data Boy because I went back. I sat down and played a little bit of Data Boy last night just to familiarize myself with the differences. And I found that the health bars, even on the same difficulty, weren't as chunky as they are in Ragnarok. Where in Ragnarok, you're fighting the Ain Heriar, and it's like you hit them with a fucking axe and it gives them a paper cut, you know? And I, I think it's cool that you can string all these combos together. That's neat. Um, and I do think that the immolation and um, permafrost and maelstrom where it's like if you can keep up a sequence of of hits on enemies without taking damage you you can activate like an elemental buff to all your weapons that's really cool good luck not getting hit in this game and um why would i want to use try to string together all these combos on an anheryar when i can just spam triangle and that does most that has like the highest dps for most enemies like you can use like the glacial rake or like the uppercut moves to juggle some of the weaker enemies. That's the optimal strategy for those guys. But when, once you get to a beefy, like I hate Ain, Ain Heryar. I'm just going to say it. I fucking hate Ain Heryar. <laughs> I hate them even more than Dark Elves. Like, like I, dun, 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 Kratos, Themos. Anyways, um, like, I hate Ain Heryar, and I'm going to guess that all of yours favorite or least favorite section in the game is probably Ironwood. I think for me, it was probably the second Vanaheim chapter where, like, I was mm. just furious with the game and I just wanted to put it down because, like, I'm getting my ass kicked by these Ain Heryar. They're spawning over and over again. There's a part where f- is injured and you're, like, stuck in, like, a little coliseum and just more Ain Heryar spawned one after the other. And then eventually there's like this big 
hammer in her yard that spawns that can like jump clear. He's like the fucking, he's like Hyperius from Halo Infinite where he can just jump across the map and hit you with this hammer and like take out half of your health in an instant. <laughs> like, I'm sure, yeah. Eric, you remember that fucking gravity hammer brute boss from Halo Infinite, right? I don't know. I'm starting to like that and you and you are <laughs> you you okay. can uh, they've done a better job at annoying me than you have in the past few years so yeah it's true I was I, I forgot listen <laughs> every time you start complaining about something <laughs> oh, it's like the good old days <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing that makes me smile faster than Michael being like pissed at something but it I can just see you sitting there oh why do these guys have so much fucking help Yeah, that was pretty much what I was saying. And something I was also annoyed by, and I'm not sure if it's just my TV. We should talk about like PS4, PS5 stuff at some point. But dude, I I played on the PS4. On one hand, I'm like impressed how easy it is to kind of get used to 30 frames per second. But man, (laughs) it is. Can't believe we're playing games in 30 frames per second. You don't have a PS fucking (laughs) five. Well, no, it's not the best, but uh, you also don't have the PS4 Pro, which I imagine probably has a performance yeah. mode. I think the rest of us played on PS5 in performance mode, right? Yeah, yep. I'm used to 4K at this point, and um, the performance mode, whatever magic they are using to upscale sub native video at this point, is like so good that I can barely tell the difference. So, like, I'm playing. Apparently, the internal resolution is like 1440p or something, but it looks like 4K to me. Like, the scaling's really sharp and clean, so no complaints there, especially having played the uh, Data Boy on PC, personally, and in native 4K. Like, uh, it, was, it wasn't a difficult transition. But uh, I always forget that game's on PC, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it's a solid port. Uh, it's the version I would recommend if you have a PC. I just I associate it so much with Sony that it's so bizarre that it's on PC. I always forget about it. Sony's Mario. I, I think it's great that Sony. Well, I think is, it's great too. I'm yeah. just not used to this happening. I hope this keeps happening. Port everything to PC. I, I would love to see Nintendo port their stuff to PC so I don't have to play. Oh, I would too. I would love to live in that timeline. And I would yeah. like to see unicorns flying out but... of my butt and I think it's about <laughs> equally as likely at this point. And now I've forgotten what I, oh yes, I feel. I don't know if you guys know. I think you were this. talking about the Einherjar in the Dark Elves. Yes. <laughs> um, in Herjar. In Herjar. So I don't know if this this was something, and you guys can tell me if this is something you experienced. But I swear to God, no. There is like a two frame delay on your block of some kind, where it's like I'm trying to dodge. <laughs> sure, it was Michael. I'm trying to dodge. Your controller or, was broken too. Well, I, I'm thinking it might be a delay on my TV, personally. Like, maybe my game mode's not as good as it should be. Because, like, I sat down and played Dad of Boy on PC, and I swear it felt more responsive than Ragnarok on PS5. So, I don't know what's going on, but it's like, I'm trying to block the aim or sorry. dodge, and I swear sometimes it just <laughs> won't happen. <laughs> and that got really frustrating. Because it's like, when you're, when you're fighting... Oh. When you're in the higher difficulties and you're trying to like fight some of the later boss fights, like <laughs> on the second highest difficulty is something to behold. Oh, spoilers. Um, yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, you can't say you fight. 
<laughs> in in this George Carlin, you, Michael. <sighs> Sorry, Michael. Go on about your cool fact. <laughs> I, I don't know. It just felt like something that drives me nuts about the older God of War games is that they don't have guard canceling. Like, if you're in the middle of a combat animation, you can't block, which drives me insane because I'm used to Bayonetta where it's instantaneous and you can dodge at any time. Yeah, see, that's a more Soulsborne type thing. Now, the, yeah, but the benefit is so. the trade-off is you might find that annoying, but the trade-off is there is that extra element of having to plan your attacks and you can't just spam because otherwise you get I kind of wish that these God of War games played a little more into that. That's that's the thing, right? It's like, okay, if they did, if they do that, and some people are going to like that, but I doubt it would be as popular as it is if it did. I mean, probably not, but well, yeah. well, I would probably like it more than I do. I would too, but I think Michael wouldn't. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what, I don't think you would Mike. what I've what I've played of of like demon souls the combat feels noticeably slower than most of these other like spectacle fighter games where like it makes more sense and it's easier to time a block when a swing takes like a full second you know what I mean whereas in, these games are pretty fast paced so like not having guard canceling yeah. feels like especially with the blades of chaos like those move really fast if I'm using like a big club, of course, I'm not going to be able to block instantaneously, you know, and that's not as much of a problem in the newer God of War games. Like the block is much more responsive in these games than the older ones. But still, I I just found myself when you're surrounded by six Ainharyar, you know, and they're just like pelting you with attacks and Bifrost, you want your dodge to work every time you use it. And I just swear it wasn't working sometimes. And that got really frustrating after a while. So I imagine if I played on normal, like King and um, and Bacon did, that I probably would have enjoyed the game more. But like I said, yeah, I, I think that normal, diff- honestly, is the way to go. Yeah, because like I did, I, I beat the game on, I think it was Show Me No Mercy is what it's called, that difficulty. Um, I beat yeah. the final boss, and then I got to the post game, and I got killed by an Ainher Yarn, one of the remnants of... And I'm just like, nope, going down to medium. And then from there, I was surprised <laughs> to find that the game is still plenty hard. It's it's kind of like what you, you Bacon, said about Mega Man 11, where it feels like each of the difficulties is, like, named too low. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was my experience with the difficulty design in this Ragnarok game. I, I feel like Data Boy was more balanced <laughs> and more fun because of that. Though I can see some of the changes they made that would benefit the combat in many other scenarios. I think it's just the variety is the biggest thing. Like there's a couple of cool moves, I think, but not fighting the same drogger over and over again. Yes. Um, yeah. It's probably the I biggest thing. I think there's just me. maybe some like strategic problems with the way these resources are s- spent. Like when I had every runic attack available, like while I was fighting what I did on normal <laughs> was as soon as I enter the fight, I use every cooldown I have at yeah. once and he's half dead. And I'm like, okay, well, that's like half the fight's over now. Like, I think that there, that is done to make these games more accessible, but it also makes you like, if you're just playing on the normal difficulty, it's kind of like, oh yeah, let's just let all this shit rip. And then, you know, if you really wanted to and you have low cooldowns, you can just stall out for a little while and then get them all back and then you're done yeah so i think i think having six different runic attacks available to you at any given time 
is probably a little bit overkill. Yeah. Is there a dad of boy? There was like a metal, I forget what it's called, but let you completely cool down your attacks. You'd spam four runic attacks, cool down, and then spam another four. Would would you do that? Is there something like that in this game? Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) I think that's another problem I noticed. I never encountered that, so I don't know. I do feel like there's some systems overload going on in in Ragnarok. There is a tiny bit of that. Because, like, when Dad of Boy added all of these RPG elements, it was refreshing after... Because, like, the the older games didn't have that. So it added a little bit more strategy, but it's also one of those things where when you have a talisman that you can put, like, eight different things on, and then you have a, a relic that you can activate, then you have six runic attacks and a pommel for each of your weapons like after a while it's just like what and then this gives you that's one of the things that like i'm most conflicted about is that i think that this rpg shit is overloading my brain every five seconds whenever i open a chest i'm like oh jesus christ i have a new thing that i need to go like slot in and king k Um, and it's weird because you're like the big rpg guy too like i've been watching your pokemon videos recently and you're talking about how like and this pokemon benefits from the physical special split but it doesn't have butt fuck ability yet (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing is that like I think in an RPG, especially like with a Pokemon, the entire game is built around you setting up your Pokemon correctly, and then you select moves in combat. It's like the combat is turn-based, and it's entirely reliant on what stats you bring to the table and shit like that. Whereas with this, with God of War, it feels moment to moment like it's an action game, right? And so I'm playing it like that. And when in between fights, you're like, I really like exploring around for chests and stuff. I basically found every chest in the game that wasn't in like a side quest because I didn't technically do all the side quests. But yeah, like I found that really rewarding and satisfying. But it felt a bit like sense. It feels like my brain was bursting at a point because every single time you open a fucking chest or just pick some random shit up off the ground, it's like, oh god, this is a new runic attack or this is like a new thing to slot into the amulet or this is like, this gives a 5% I have a new chest piece, maybe I should luck, go upgrade only for 5 Brock. seconds and it, it, you found a Mogilia equip it to your shins to get more fall it damage just gets, yeah, it just gets to a point where I'm like, is this how necessary is this and how much do I actually get out of the fact that I have control over Kratos because I really don't think the control for me is that substantial when it's like you can pick whether your runes cool down slower or whether you have more health or whether you can kill things faster it just does not feel like a particularly that feels like a choice that could be made in so much fewer options than getting like 10 chess pieces and like 18 runic slots or whatever you know it's just yeah it's a little overwhelming. And to top it all off, everything gets upgraded at the shop too. And it's like, and you, but you also never have enough fucking resources to upgrade anything in my experience. Unless if you like go grind, like, I don't even think the game will tell you where you can find certain resources. So you have to look it up if you just don't have an Asgardian ingot on hand. And it's just, that just adds another layer of confusion to all of these RPG elements where it's like, the game is encouraging you to upgrade things and you just don't have what you need. I think the 
I think I would, I like a lot of the, it sounds like I like a lot of the RPG stuff, like the customization stuff more. The thing is, the problem is that, okay, if the gameplay is like, if, if you're not having, if it's not hard, like all that hard to like beat a boss or whatever, and you can do it one of 10,000 ways and it doesn't really matter, then you're not going to be as motivated to like, it's kind of, well, Pokemon's a bad example because everything is really easy. (laughs) I was going to say, if it was hard, then you'd feel more motivated to go out and customize and engage with these things. Um, but if it's kind of like, okay, I could just spam runic attacks and call it a day anyway, why do I bother with these 15 different knobs and, and stuff like that? But the problem is, if you bump up the difficulty, then everything has a giant-ass health bar, and you're still going to like use the same thing anyway. Um, that's a, I don't know. That's, that's a common issue just in a lot of games, right? Where you you bump up the difficulty and there it's the shittiest way to do it where it's just oh give yourself less health give the enemies more health i remember thinking about that when i was like playing through like ratchet deadlock to try to play it on the hardest difficulty and i'm like wait a minute this isn't fun anymore yeah yeah i feel like difficulty selection is something that just varies wildly from game to game whatever their definition of difficulty is is so subjective that it's just like it's something that generally needs to have more thought put into it, I think. Yeah. And it's say. also something that That's probably right, doesn't get a lot right. of dev time is the thing. Yeah, definitely not. It seems like a very low priority thing to worry about. Because if a nerd's playing on a higher difficulty, they're probably like... Yeah. You're, you're probably <laughs> willing to put up with some more shit. Play game. Like, um, I imagine... Because, like, just for fun sometime, just go look up your favorite game on, like, Steam and see the percentage for the amount of people who actually finished it. It's usually, like, 40% if it's really popular, but sometimes, like, I think, like, Halo Infinite on Steam has, like, a 10% people actually finish the campaign rate. And it's, like, at that point... There's multiplayer there, too. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a bit of a special case, but, like, you would be surprised at how many people just don't fucking finish games, is my point. And with that being the case, who is actually going to go back and play New Game Plus after that? Maybe like one-tenth of one percent. And that being the case, no one's going to bother to make something really exciting for like a super hard difficulty. They're just going to crank up the stats and call it a day because that's probably all the time that the system designer had. Can you guys think of any like really backward difficulty settings? Like like really weird ones? I think... One of the stalker games, if I recall correctly. I was going, that's what I was going to talk about. Yeah, like, anyway, was, was there like a glitch where like, uh, or like some, some sort of dev mistake where the difficulty options are placed in reverse? <laughs> there was, I think maybe with Shadows, Shadow of Chernobyl. Thing with stalker is the difficulty determines how accurate yours and the enemy's guns are. Oh, Jesus. Everybody kind of agrees you have to play in the hardest difficulty because then everybody like, then you actually, the accuracy of your guns is better. So you're accurate, um, but so are the enemies. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like a thing in, um, there's a similar thing. Well, this is more of a gimmick thing in Devil May Cry, but there's a, a mode where like you kill everything in one hit, but they kill you in one hit sort of a deal. I guess I sort of enjoy when there's more gimmicky stuff like that because it's not an outright difficulty increase, but it's also a way to play the game that's not like the same as you would get normally. What, it yeah, wasn't critical think, mode then, in Kingdom Hearts kind of like that? Yeah, critical mode's probably one of my favorite examples. In KH2 specifically, 
that critical varies throughout the games and what it does. But the modern philosophy seems to be um, in KH2, the way they built it was you do more, your damage cap increases in the sense that you will get more abilities at the start of the game and you will do more damage to bosses, but you will also take more damage from them. Yeah. So I think shit like that is probably the thing I'm the most into because like you get the best of both worlds in the sense that the game is a lot fucking harder, but it doesn't take like, it's like the exact opposite of beefing up the health bars. It's actually easier to get the health bars down, but it's more frenetic since if you get hit once, you're probably going to fucking die. Yeah. So See, I like I would, shit like that. I would love that if that was God, if that if God of War Ragnarok is that way, where it felt like <laughs> you could like literally run up and behead the tiny little guys in one hit, but you're also like, you're surrounded you know it's a more stressful high risk high reward yeah um, yeah as opposed to uh, 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 you're on uh, fire kratos uh, i just <laughs> killed one one quarter of a capybara with like big teeth or whatever you're on fire Kr- oh you're already dead <laughs> well oh, this is a fine mess on Mimir. well you know, j- just kind of bringing bringing things back to what you were talking about earlier Mm. I didn't find that, uh, you know, the, uh, the block or the parry or anything. I never found there was any sort of delay on that. So I think that might have just been you. No offense. I mean, it could just be my um, TV, yeah. you know. Yeah, you know, I didn't have any problems. And I think, Michael, you're really, really terrible. Um, and you need to get good. <laughs> well, you well, know, I mean, spoken like you a said true it so I just player. player. Spoken no like offense, a true no little offense. brother, more trash. like. <laughs> like here, here's the thing there i put no shortage of effort into trying to get good i swear to god i tried my hardest but yeah. like <laughs> it's it's one of those things where like the longer it goes a, on i paid a tutor 40 dollars an hour to get good at god of war <laughs> it's one of those things but the longer it goes on the more frustrating it it gets and the more your skill starts to deteriorate you know or like your frustration instead of well, helping. I agree you. with you, Michael, that the normal difficulty feels harder than the normal difficulty of the original God of War. Yes, so I would agree that the game in general feels a bit more difficult. Like I got a few deaths that I just didn't get in the original. Yeah. So it's definitely harder. And that's that's kind yeah, of I'm, the long and short of it. Yeah, you know, like I, I'm. I'll admit, I'm no pro gamer. I'm I'm no Eric. Uh, Don't be modest. <laughs> no, but you genuinely, are a programmer. Ge- no, genuinely speaking, I've always kind of been, at least for the past couple of years, I've kind of been afraid of just maybe I just suck at games because I feel like there there are times when you know uh, people will comment on one of my videos and and you know make a comment about how this thing you're complaining about is only co- a complaint because uh, you just you suck at the game, and I kind of just have that 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 insecurity. What, what was that, that PS One game? Some whiny bitch in the comments. <laughs> I don't know if I'm very good at what, games anymore. What was that anymore. core design that beat em up game? 63 told me that I'm trash. 3D beat em up? Uh, that, what was that Are 3D beat course? em up? That's it. Where like the world champion speedrunner told you that you got like a special version of the game that was like ruined somehow. And therefore <laughs> you would have liked the game I, more. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, I, I'm assuming he's the world champion speedrunner because he's the only fucker who actually plays the game anymore. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, with Fighting Force, that was an interesting case where I don't actually think it was my copy so much as it was actually the PS3 compatibility. For whatever oh. reason, the sound just 
wasn't working on PS3. I kind of realized that in hindsight because PS3 has kind of weird little emulation issues like that. Um, Yeah. But yeah, that was a case where a lot of my issues did come down to, yeah, either my copy was gimped or the the PS3 just wasn't emulating the game properly. Or um, I think... I, I did notice, like, I had a misprint on the back of my, uh, on the back of my case. So there's an entire, it's entirely possible that the entire game might have just been fucked from the beginning. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. One of you should make a, a review where you just play a bootleg game and act like you don't know it's the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a, an interesting April oh, Fool's episode. Like, uh, I'll do that for one of those, like, Vietnamese crystal, the bootleg Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna like, say you could review Temtem. <laughs> I always try to think of April Fool's ideas, and I never think of one. I have an idea. Yeah, maybe I'll Fool's do that this year, well, next year. Because my idea for that is like just make a normal video, but on a weird ass fucking video game. Yeah, I might do that. But anyway, uh, do we have any other observations we wanted to share on the gameplay in Ragnarok, like the side quests or anything? Because I was I'm kind of with um, you, King, on that one. <laughs> well, we probably should hurry this along a little bit more, but I do have a little bit more to say. Uh, first okay. of all, uh, personally, I didn't have any problem with the Inheritor. I, the, they were no different to me than any other uh, enemies in the game. Michael's face is beat red right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. He, he's going <laughs> to, he's going to, like... Just he's gonna do that. Um, oh, I forgot it. Forgot his name. Uh, he was on Channel Awesome. He had that one meme thing where he was like running up the street. Oh, Linkara, uh, Linkara, Linkara. It's like he's gonna Linkara <laughs> run all the way, all the way up to me and just to slap me across the face. Yeah, look, look, I don't <laughs> but, care. Like, if you enjoyed fighting them, more power to you. Kara. Well, I, I think you know, as, as we we're talking about earlier. This game has an incredibly explosive opening, and I think that's kind of like, for me, that was the thing that kind of made the game earn the benefit of the doubt for me, where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. it had a lengthy cooling off sequence after that, but I was kind of cool with it. Um, but I think this is definitely a game where a lot of the same issues exist, uh, not, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of the same issues exist from the, uh, the first out of Boy, and I think the interesting thing about the progression for me, I've noticed with a lot of people, is that it starts off hot, and then it kind of peters off, and yeah. then it eventually gets a lot better. And I think I've noticed that kind yes. of same pattern, and it's like, for me, the kind of petering off point, uh, hey, Peter, sorry, uh, the petering off point <laughs> is where it kind of makes me think, okay, this game, depending on where you start, depending on how good you think it is at the start, will kind of determine how low that low point gets because if, you, yeah. if you're not really into it then it'll get really low whereas if you're really into it like i was that low point wasn't really nearly as low to make me you know for the game to really lose me and i think if you don't like the game already or if you're not really getting imp- if you're not really impressed with the game i find that when it reaches that low point i don't think it's necessarily good enough that if you already weren't into the game that the game will ever get good enough to you that you would enjoy it and that's why i'm not prepared to say that this is a game uh, i'm not prepared to say that this is a game that if you didn't like the original you'll like this one i think it's kind of in that same ballpark yeah because once this game hits the ground running i think it's just i'm not gonna say 10 out of 10 but it was a it was a fucking great ass game as soon as it you know i would say from uh probably the vanaheim chapter onward for me the first vanaheim chapter onward like i was just 
gripped like a motherfucker. I yeah, I'm gonna agree completely. Opening really solid. I think we all are on the same page on that. And then I think yeah, and then I think by necessity, and you kind of had kind of mentioned this in one of your videos, Bacon. It you can't keep that level of you know heightens excitement up for the whole game so they kind of had to cool down for a bit and kind of let it ramp back up and it's a pretty lengthy cooling down sequence yeah yeah but like from vanaheim onward that's where i felt like the plot finally kind of got going because the whole thing with goes kind of nowhere spoilers (laughs) we could talk about that in a bit and that at first it seems like oh we're gonna do we're gonna prepare for ragnarok but then it's like oh i guess we don't want Ragnarok to happen because of this and kind of what Eric was saying. But like from Vanaheim, that's kind of where the story started to get some motion going and it started to go somewhere was uh, Vanaheim. Mm-hmm. The rest of this program contains plot spoilers for God of War Ragnarok, including endgame spoilers. If you do not wish to be spoiled, stop watching now. What for us was the low point? Because I have a feeling what most of you are going to say. You already know mine. (laughs) I would. Now, Eric. (laughs) Eric, uh, (laughs) we were at my birthday dinner. And our our non-binary sibling is like, so, what did you think of Ironwood? (laughs) And I was just like, the big problem with it for me is that that did not need to be three hours long. Especially for like the other Atreus chapters are like maybe 40 minutes to an hour long, but that Ironwood just dragged. And Eric, you, you yeah, hit it. Except, except for the misadventures of Sindri and Atreus, which I was totally down for. <laughs> I despised every Atreus chapter. It felt like really? torture. I hate all of them. I couldn't stand them. When I was playing <laughs> again, I got through Ironwood. I timed myself. I timed it to see how long it took where I knew where to go and it was an hour and a half a little over an hour and a half anyway. I was fast I was I was doing the moves I was BLJ through the whole course and it just still <laughs> took an hour and a half but some guy in my comment d- section said oh it takes 40 minutes max I'm like no it doesn't no they're liars no. I, they, they're liars it takes at least twice as long yeah no if I, you go really fa- like obviously okay if you went really fast I could see maybe getting that down to an hour but dude but I didn't like all the other ones too is just like he's like cl- you're just like climbing he's like doing the funny talking to himself <laughs> yeah is a more maze runner as i said these characters i don't know i they, they my biggest problem with this game is there is i'm struggling to think of one new character that i even remotely give a shit about whoa but i like loved huh. it i loved freya brock and sindri that's a, you know, i don't know that's a hot take. now that you mention it i might actually agree with that because well, I'm having trouble thinking of I one. Really, I really enjoyed Fruit. Oh, yeah. That makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I liked her personality and, and her characterization that she wanted to become a Valkyrie, but her parents didn't want her or her mother didn't want her to become a Valkyrie. It, it, it was, well, I put $800 on an amiibo of Skjolder uh, on eBay. <laughs> yeah, they My make Skjolder amiibos coming in the mail. They make amiibos out of Sony characters now, and everybody go, everybody go get your Master yeah. Chief uh, well, amiibo now on sale. On the note of the Atreus sections, and I think uh, I, I did mention this in one of my videos, where Atreus's gameplay never gets versatile to the point where I feel his sections hold up long uh, for for like long stretches. 
I felt the mm-hmm. first the first example of his uh, his gameplay that was good because it was kind of short, didn't really didn't really drag. You also had a lot of good character work. The third mm-hmm. one where he's uh, going toward where he's going off to um, uh, Asgard that was good for me because uh, it dragged a little bit lengthwise, but I felt like it had a lot of good story elements to kind of bolster it up. You know, it, yeah, that was and the definitely one of the more talky segments. Yeah, that was one of the more talky segments in the game. You know, these people want to claim it's just a walking simulator. But anyways, yeah, that's kind of what I felt uh, for a lot of the uh, later Atreus sections as well was if it did go on longer, there was at least a lot of story to back it up that I was really invested in. The Ironwood yeah. is, is an example where the dynamic between the two characters, it eventually kind of clicked with me, but I felt that Angraboda was a bit irritating to me i'll be honest i found her very awkward in a very kind of not charming way a disney channel kind of way yeah yeah and it's funny because like i had played a uh, rift apart immediately after playing uh ragnarok and first of all mm-hmm. rift apart was a really good cooldown for uh ragnarok because holy crap a 10-hour game who would have thought i thought rivet was an example of a character who was awkward in a way that was very charming whereas this was yeah as you say kind of disney channel-esque and their dynamic didn't work and it just went on for too long eventually i kind of eventually it started clicking and i was like okay yeah i'm I'm getting what this is what they're trying to do here obviously you know they're really trying to hammer home that relationship between atreus and agraboda but yeah, it was it was rough going for a little while, especially just with the pace just dragging. Apparently in the mythology, Angerboda and Loki were the parents of uh, Fenrir. Hey, all right. I, I don't remember. I don't know enough about Norse and, to say yes or no, but yeah. And Hell, I guess if so. I'm not mistaken, right? I think you're yeah. probably correct. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they were supposed to be love interests, I guess, but they're so young. <laughs> um, I it just... Feels underdeveloped. Well, I, I think... Which is amazing, given that 45 minutes of picking apples, and then I'm schooled, and you're watching the Disney Channel. And then you go over, and then you gotta go fight Guaylo and destroy her big pot or whatever. Um, which doesn't... Is irrelevant. Okay, I'm going to know. disagree slightly with you on that, my friend. I've got, I've got an observation about that that'll f- slot it into this game's wide range of themes. But I guess... Yeah, I, I, I disagree with you, Eric. I thought most of the Atreus sections were fine. The only one I didn't really like was Ironwood. And that was only because of the length. Like, honestly, you probably could cut out the Gryla section entirely and it really wouldn't. Like, the point of it was we need these characters to be friends by the time Ragnarok rolls around, even though Angerboda doesn't do anything during Ragnarok. Spoilers. Uh, this game, if there's... She does. I, I think to finally starting to get into the more of the story, I feel like the Ragnarok story really bites off more than it can chew and doesn't really have time to flesh out all of its ideas. And I have a hot take about this. I want to share at some point, but I mean, what did we all think of the story in this game? Just like in general, how doesn't it have time to flesh it out? It just spends it all repeating the same (laughs) themes and hitting you over the head with it. Well, there's just a lot of stuff going on. It's got time. I mean, 20 hours is probably long enough. It's, it's, a satisfying journey with characters that I enjoy, like with Kratos and Atreus and Freya and Mimir. I think Mimir is probably my favorite character, honestly. Mm, yeah. Um, good choice. Good choice. But I mean, he's a little too quippy sometimes, but I just enjoy how somber 
a lot of the moments with him are, especially when you free the yes, yeah, the half goofa and the the whale. It's like called I, a Langenbacher I, or something. I don't remember. I think there are a lot of good tender moments between the core cast, like when Atre- Atreus and Kratos, uh, I think, are the two characters, the two major characters involved the plot that I like cared the most about what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think their relationship was really well portrayed. And that was my, probably my favorite thing about the original as well. So like, yeah, it was in that sense, a lot of what I liked about the original, but I also think that I may agree that the, the plot that it takes to get there is a bit, it, this game feels like it could have been, <sighs> It's it's interesting the way you say, Michael, that it bites off more than it can chew, and I sort of agree, mm-hmm. but I also feel like it is somehow, it feels like it stretches itself far beyond what it needs, like, it yeah. feels like there's a lot of moments in the game where pe- where characters are saying things over and over again, I guess like Eric was saying with the Phineas and Ferb thing, <laughs> um, I didn't actually quite think about it in that way until right now, but like, <laughs> It's We're not sort gonna of go like, to war with Asgard, there's five boy. different times where people are like talking about how like the prophecy and how we like are we gonna it's it's kind of like you oscillate between like this is kind of cute that they're like commenting about like oh if we kill fucking um Heimdall then we'll we'll like fall into the prophecy and I'm like oh that's kind of cute and then they keep saying it and they keep saying it and then Kratos kills Heimdall and it's like okay yeah and it's like it's a little bit like it's weird because I agree that it bites off more than it can chew, but I also think that it's it's getting stretched to a point where I'm like, yeah, this is an enjoyable story, but also when you reach the end of it, it feels a little bit anticlimactic because it has so much fucking build up to Ragnarok that when you get to Ragnarok, it's a bit like it just kind of happens and then you're done. Yep, and it's like oh, <laughs> all it's- right then, <laughs> like. I think it's well, like it's more than just Ragnarok as well because in God of War 2018 there's all this build up for Thor and Odin and you know yeah. you're constantly hearing about it and then you get to Asgard and it's like I don't know it did feel like the whole Ragnarok thing could pro- probably fits within like one hour and it feels like it should probably be like four to really highlight the scale of this battle because like there's uh, to kind of go off what you were saying, Eric, there's a lot of Mimir bleats a lot about how like, Oh, Jormungandr and Thor are totally going to fight. That's why Jormungandr eats the statue legends. Like he eats the statue. And that's the reason why you have to go inside of him to get Mimir's other eye later in the game. But then like you play the Ragnarok battle and it's like, I don't even think you can really even see Jormungandr. Like, I want to say someone in your you comment can, section, Bacon, said that, like, it's in the background. You can see him, but, like... It's cool, it's, but... It's like they focus on it for a little bit while you're walking through, but it's, like, kind of a background element. It was... That's honestly my favorite part of it. Looking over and seeing Thor and Jormungandr Yeah, I honestly thought that was kind of cool. I would agree. Well, but um, I completely it's, it's missed just that, it. Okay, you've got basically two... You've got, like, basically two long-ass games building up the lore of of Thor and Odin and Ragnarok. And then you get there and it's just like, I don't know. It feels very small relative to what you think it is, which I guess part of that's the buildup, but well, I don't know. I just like, I feel like the fight with Boulder was more 
yeah. crazy and big. Because they spent the whole out. game building it up. You fight it multiple times and you actually understood what his motivation was. In terms of the plot, it's like in terms of like you either gotta kill Balder or let Balder kill Freya, and it's like there is no easy answer to that particular dilemma. And that kind of leaves you on this note of like, gee, I wonder if things could have gone different, you know, and that sets up Freya and Kratos's relationship for the second game. It's like, where is that going to go? I think um, TGX, you wanted to put in. <laughs> what was it you wanted to say? Well, the thing is, I'm probably going to go on a, qu- a bit of a long tangent about this. Yeah, sure. Go right ahead. So, uh, so prepare your butts. The thing about the story of Ragnarok is for me. It's definitely made by the characters because obviously there's the arc of Kratos and uh, Treus both individually learning because uh, I think you know like a, a larger kind of theming of this game is kind of like familial separation and kind of like ha- learning to exist independently from all the everything that you've known. And the uh, the thing about you know Kratos and Treus is I love their arcs and all the side characters. I I don't think there's a single side character that by the end of the game I had a negative opinion on you know as i said uh screw you eric through is awesome i really liked thor and his kind of arc obviously you know there's there's freya actually no thinking about it there's that guy who jumps off the boat i don't remember his name at the moment um but uh, it's yeah like, and that's the you had mentioned this yeah. in your video you couldn't remember his name and the only reason i do remember his name yeah. is because i'm just like that sounds like burger that's the only reason i remember <laughs> his name uh, and and now i will remember the name but yeah, overall for me, it's a story of characters and the characters were the thing, the people that I really liked. You know, I really, on a very deep emotional level, connected with these characters, connected to their arcs and stuff. But the thing that kind of disappointed me about the game, and obviously you've already touched on this, is the overarching plot as a whole, aka Ragnarok, was kind of a disappointment. You know, it was too, it was over too quickly. Odin was too much of a non-threat. Maybe really wonder if the, like, all this was really necessary, if we could kick his ass and destroy his, his, uh, uh, his entire like realm this easily. The Ragnarok monster came across as a bigger threat than Odin, and that really shouldn't have come across. Thor's kind of character ended a little bit too quickly. That could, and obviously oh, there's God. the big battle and everything. And this makes me think, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the hot take that EXO was probably going to bring up. <laughs> this should have been two games. And I can I think, think that's a hot take. And mm. I think I can, and I can think of the exact moment that I think I would end this game. I would end it after you kill I Heimdall. Will. I would end it, you know, once you escape Vanaheim. Yeah. And that's all over and done with. You go back to the house, you have the horn. And at this point, it's like, okay, Ragnarok is inevitable. You don't know what happens next. But that's like a perfect place to leave the game off on where you can make a, a third game where you start to really expand on the idea of Ragnarok and have it play out, I feel. Because I feel like that section after you kill Heimdall feels like the most truncated part of the game. Because at that point, it's like they, they're kind of weirdly rushing yes. all these different arcs to their conclusion and rushing everything to a, to a conclusion that could have been its whole a, a, a singular game. And I think that Heimdall, because he really did, uh, for most of the game, come across as the true antagonist, what with him cl- uh, planning to kill Atreus, what with him being such a massive son of a bitch. Yep. It really felt like if you ended the game there, uh, you have the horn, you go back to Brock and Sindri's house, and you think to your, uh, and you have a conversation like Ragnarok is now inevitable. That would have been a great place to leave the game off on. But otherwise, 
like I said, all the characters, I don't, I can't think of one character in this entire game that I didn't identify with. Uh, Kratos' arc was amazing. Atreus, you know, Brock and Sentry were fantastic. You know, I, 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 mm-hmm. I fucking loved, uh, Brock, he, he, he really came into his own in this game, I think, where he just kind of became that. <laughs> uh, he, he, he was inconsequential, but now he, he was inconsequential in the first game. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, boy. Yeah. But now with, with this game, he really, uh, became almost a main character to the point that I wouldn't have cared if he died in, in, in uh, in Dad of Boy. Sure. But yeah. They really built up the side characters perfectly in my eyes. And it's just a shame to me that the game kind of ended on a bit of a wet fart. You know, Ragnarok was a bit of a wet fart. I don't think the ending mm-hmm. itself was a wet fart because, you know, with all that character work post Ragnarok was great, but Ragnarok itself, the event was definitely a disappointment. The namesake Thank of you the for game. coming to my TED talk. <laughs> yeah. Woo! So before I get into my hot take and start complaining about things I didn't like, like Jeb did in the frontiers podcast, I want to talk about some of the things I did like steel deer. <clears throat> um, I liked the scene after you def- you fight Needhog with Freya, and you have like this dramatic scene where Freya's got to make a decision about whether she wants to forgive Gratos or kill him, and she's like, "I don't know what to do." Like it's it's more complicated than that emotionally, and of course there's this whole Odin thing going on. Odin's fucked over everybody mm-hmm. for years, you know, and in the end she decides that you know Odin. I hate Odin more than I hate you, and he's caused me and the Nine Realms way more suffering than you ever have, so I'm going to help you beat him. But I do think what you said in your top ten video, Bacon, about like her forgiving him should have been more of a process. Because like, it just seems mm-hmm. like after that scene, she just acts like Freya from the first game again, just immediately. And I, I would have liked to have she seen... She should have been more closed off. Yeah. Just give it, just give it a little bit more time. And, um, in, 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 uh, and the whole Vanaheim chapter, I think, like you had mentioned, like they bring back, this game actually references a lot of stuff from the original timeline, like including Ascension, which I was surprised at. And they kind of use that as a basis for building Freya and Kratos' relationship and helping them to kind of repair that and understand each other better. And, you know, especially he, Kratos talks about what it's like growing up in Sparta. And that she's like, geez, well, mm-hmm. no wonder you ended up the way you did. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Holy cheese balls. A lot of that stuff worked for me. Um, this, when you go back and play Dad of Boy again, because Atreus is so young, he just comes off as child. <laughs> you know, that's kind of his character. It, I'm oversimplifying yeah. it a little bit, but it's not like he's not like a horribly complicated character. Whereas in this game, I feel like he really came into his own as a personality. And I could kind of see how he was supposed to be Loki, because you don't really get that in the first game, um, where he's like, I run on chaos, which maybe it's a little bit too early in the game for him to say that, but I do think they proved that as the game went on, where he's just like, yeah, I guess I'm going to go to Asgard now, and I'm going to make quips while I climb this mountain. That felt very Loki-esque. He was planning on betraying Odin the whole time. That's kind of Loki-esque. He can transform into animals. I feel like you know, like he had more personality. He was wittier. He just felt like a more defined character. And that made him kind of going his separate ways with Anger Boda to go find the other giants, a more poignant send off for the character because of that. He's his own man. Now he has his own mission. He can kind of, you know, be his own person. I liked that. And 
like you said, there are a lot of really great emotional moments in this game. Like, I think you, you have a different highlight, and I'll let you mention it. Uh, but my highlight for me was after Atreus has been hanging out in Asgard for a while, and he accidentally frees Garm, everything's going to shit, he comes home, and Kratos is like, what do I call you? And Atreus's response is to just hug him. And it's just like, that to me was pitch perfect. Because like, it said everything without words, you know, visually. And you could just feel that moment where those two characters became closer to each other. And of course, there was that great yeah. scene in Helheim as well. I certainly like that, yeah. Uh, there was also that great scene in Helheim where Kratos like really finally lets down all of his barriers and like asks Atreus like, when you're gone, like, you know, the ghost of Sparta could come back at any moment. Like, I'm scared that I'm going to become the person I used to be after spending a that's whole like, game kind of coming to terms with that, you know? That's like my number two favorite moment in the game. Mm-hmm. And then what was your favorite? Uh, my favorite moments? Well, I guess uh, as far as like this dynamic between the two, my favorite moment is at the very end. And I guess spoilers, but like where Kratos and Atreus are discussing, you know, the fact that Atreus has to go off on his own, and Kratos says, Atreus will remain. Loki will go. Like, Jesus Christ, mm. I had such a lump in my throat at that moment. It's just a culmination of the entire arc of, of Kratos learning to let go and allowing Atreus to be his own man, and it's just such a beautiful moment. Yeah. All right. Any other positives you guys want to mention before I get into the negatives? I really like, I think my favorite scene, it might actually be your favorite scene as well, TJX. I think you might have told me that this is your favorite scene. I guess it kind of bounces um, back and forth a bit. Or it, it at least was a scene that you liked enough that we talked about it, Um, was when he takes off his, the like blades and the axe and stuff, and he just mm, kind of sits yeah. there. That was like probably one of the most powerful moments of the game for me. Cause like I could, <laughs> that was another moment where you could really like feel that he just kind of the way that he like throws the, the blades off and he like looks at the ax a bit before he lets it down gently. It was like really well done. And he just sits there. It, it like lets you ponder for a while and think, I don't know. It's like, I think the thing I like the most about the story of these games is that there's a lot of, they do give you time to just kind of sit and soak in the moment. And I do appreciate that. The way that they yeah. pull that off is pretty well done, I think. And one thing I do want to mention about that scene is that the cinematography, whenever they transition between Atreus and Kratos, was really good. Where, like, uh, they'd have, like, what is called a matching cut, or they'd, like, fade the background out in a way that was felt really organic. And, like, my favorite part of that particular scene was when Kratos awakens from his nightmare and is like trapped somewhere or i guess this is part of his nightmare and he just starts punching the wall because he's just like damn it my son and i are separated and i have no way to reach him and that's sort of like represented by him trying to punch through that wall and then it just kind of cuts to atreus kind of like punching the wall instead you know i i really liked that moment well the one thing i especially like about that scene is like when he's examining his scars and just how he's almost taking a look back at his life just in that just silently taking a look back at his life and thinking of like everything that's brought him to this moment and everything that's yeah. made him who he is that's how i interpret that at least yeah and uh we got to talk about fenrir as well i imagine oh very good boy okay <laughs> i like fenrir so if i may if i may i didn't mention this in my top 
top and bottom 10 video because I felt like I've talked about it way too much recently. But the original Fenrir scene where Atreus like has to let him go, that oh, hit particularly a, yeah. hard for me because I've recently lost a pet and that shit was just, yeah, that was tough. So I, in that moment, I'm like, oh no. And I know people are probably going to say, oh, well, you know, seeing a, a dog die, that's so manipulative. It's like, I don't give a shit if it's manipulative. It, it, it's, it, it hurts. Those emotions it, it really are is real. Something that, yeah, it, it really is. So, so I, ma- I imagine it was very cathartic to see him come back. Yeah. Cathartic. Sorry. Um, that's an old one. <laughs> I got, <laughs> I got secondhand catharsis from that. Absolutely. Cause like in that moment, I'm like, Atreus got his best friend back. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you guys ready for my wonderful, brilliant hot take that it's going to change your life? Kratos should have had a bigger bum. I'm ready to sit here for like a couple hours, if that's what you're asking. Are you going to tell, are you going to talk about that, like, Kratos should get hair plugs things you were talking to me about? <laughs> no, the, we'll save that for some other time. Okay. <sighs> okay. So I don't think the world's ready for that one. I, I hate to say it, <laughs> but the plot of this game reminded me a lot of Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> You can't you can't see it right now, oh but I'm, I'm 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 like squinting my eyes and like, <laughs> I like how that's that's gonna annoy more people than the Phineas and Ferb comparison. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so allow allow me to explain. No, the Star Wars sequel trilogy. They they let J.J. Abrams make the first one, then they let Ryan Johnson make the second one. A lot of people didn't like the second then one. They let- so they brought back J.J. Abrams because Colin Trevorrow quit. I know what it is. They're both written by John Calvin. Uh, uh. The, the guy behind the theory that you have to be successful in life, that's an indicator that you'll go to heaven. That guy? The predeterminism and all that. That's it. But um, <clears throat> you get to Rise of Skywalker and it's like, well, people didn't like the last one and J.J. Abrams has a different idea of how he wanted to do the trilogy. Yeah, so we'll just kind of do the second and third movies all in one movie. The equivalent of a second and third act of a trilogy in one movie. And that's essentially what Ragnarok is doing. It's You've got the dark middle chapter and the final climax both in one game. So this is sort of like what you were saying, Bacon, that this might have been better as two games. So here here's my comparisons to back up my claim. The basic plot of Rise of Skywalker is Palpatine is on Exegol, but we can't get to Exegol because we need a map. So that's the setup for the game until the giant climax can happen. Much like how they can't reach Asgard because they the final battle is we need to go to Asgard to fight Odin, but we have no way to get to Asgard. The structure of how the plot is paced is like, it just seems like they're farting around until they go to Asgard and do Ragnarok. (laughs) Yeah. Did he like die? I think so. I think Exo just got excommunicated. C3PO by loses Palpatine. his memory. <laughs> what? Can you guys not hear me? Yeah, you, you got. <laughs> no, you got. You, <laughs> you said. <laughs> the last thing you said you was. cut uh, off at the, the last, perfect point. Yeah, the last thing you said was uh, gentles and ladies. <laughs> I was expecting a dramatic like pause for, for effect, but it's just like you never came back. Oh. 
Well, it's like the plot of what happens in Rise of Skywalker is they need to go find a Sith dagger, but they can't read the Sith dagger, so they have to go to another pl- <laughs> 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 uh, Oh, no. Oh, this is just going off the rails, isn't it? Emperor Palpatine's like, the world oh, I'm going to get away with this. truly not ready for this. Um, did I get cut out again? <laughs> so you're saying about a Sith dagger? Yeah, so they, they can't read the Sith dagger no, because it's written in Sith language that they don't understand. <laughs> so they have to have C-3PO translate it for him on a different planet, and then that tells them where to find the map to Exegol. Oh, on a- Atreus is C-3PO. It all makes sense. Yeah, it is sort of like that now that you mention it. Sorry, I hadn't even thought of cool that. Story. Thor is sort of like the Kylo Ren. That's exactly like Kylo that. Ren is like, he's a bad guy until he's not at the very end in Rise of Skywalker, just like Thor. And Odin's kind of like Greedo? Uh, no, Odin is Palpatine. <laughs> Odin is Palpatine. Um, <clears throat> and then, like Rise of Skywalker, they spend the entire movie basically doing a bunch... the guy who gets shot down? Uh, who, uh, Hambo or uh, whatever? Yeah. Oh, that's good. You, you, Rise of Skywalker spends most of its movie farting around. Which one's Mario? And then you get to the final battle at the end and people just show up for it, which is kind of like how Mimir rallies the el- armies of hell off screen and Frere unites the elves off screen. Like these are these big <laughs> things. <laughs> that is kind of funny how they're like, they're in fucking, um, what's that place called where you get Surtur? Um, uh, Muspelheim. Muspelheim. That realm it- Muspelheim, I think it's yeah. Einhindjar. I love what, how when you get there, the guy from Freyr's camp shows up. He's like, uh, I'm going to take a Mimir away from you. And it's like, uh, okay, yeah, I guess you can take him. Well, then half of them <laughs> don't even show up for the final battle because the uh, the portals get destroyed. Yeah. yeah. And that's they, they that is sort of eggs. analogous. It's kind of like how in Rise of Skywalker, how Lando and a bunch of other people just show up at the end without any proper setup. It's just like that. Like Rise of Skywalker, Ragnarok had to pay off a bunch well, of there's open Well, another plot. thing that might... I don't want to interrupt you again, but I just remember I was playing this with my roommate because he beat it before <laughs> me and he wanted to watch me beat the game. And my roommate was like... He was like, yeah, so did Freyr just like unite every elf in like five seconds? Yep. And I was like, yeah, I guess he did. Um, I I know he's like their leader or whatever. Not his, their leader, but like, he, he's there, like... Bro. They liked him or whatever, but I was kind of like, too, I was like, man, that is hilarious that Freyr was just kind of like, he popped in and he's like, hey, elves, uh, let, let's go kill <laughs> Odin. Like, okay. Yep. A hundred like, years of race war. <laughs> Some stoner comes in. What's up, bros? It's time hey for Ragnarok. guys, you want to go fight Odin with me? Um, <clears throat> so, is that, is that ra- attempted uh, at Joe Swanson there? Hey, Peter, but, let's go do Ragnarok. <laughs> so you watch force That's awakens sick. and last jedi and it sets up a lot of different questions it's a mystery box as jj abrams talks about it or it's like hmm uh, finn was stolen from his family who is his family and he became a stormtrooper is that going to get resolved and then you watch rise of skywalker and all of the shit that they were building up just either gets no answer or is just fluffed off like how is finn force sensitive they don't really go into that at all uh the payoff for the whole stormtrooper thing is that Finn meets another stormtrooper lady on the planet with the horses. That's it. And that's kind of like how in Ragnarok, it's like, oh, we have this big compelling setup with the whole Balder Freya thing, or Freya thing, and it just sort of gets resolved really easily and then is never brought up again. And even then, it's kind of like, why didn't she just ask him to go to Vanaheim in the first place? She tries to kill him first, and then he's like, all right, now I want you to help me. (laughs) That felt a little weird. 
Okay, so that's my Rise of Skywalker hot take. But I do have some other observations I wanted to share. And these, this might have answers and like the lore and stuff that I just missed. So if you're in the comments and you know the answer to these questions or saw something I didn't. Go to hell. No, feel free to comment because you will boost our engagement. Okay, my first question is there's a lot of... <laughs> it's a lot of much ado about the fact that Odin hates the giants. And that's why the path to Jotunheim, like all of the paths to Jotunheim are broken in the last game and you have to find the secret portal back to Jotunheim at the end of the game. But we establish in this game that Odin can just teleport wherever the hell he wants between realms whenever he wants using his ravens. Like they even say earlier in the game that they're safe at the world tree because Odin can't follow them there, but then he does. So I'm just wondering, couldn't he just teleport to Jotunheim? Giant stuff, bro. I mean, I guess if you say so. I actually don't know. I don't know if I ever heard anything about no it. No need to wait for the YouTube comments. It's giant stuff, bro. Metachlorians. <laughs> you, you had mentioned this in you had True. mentioned this in your in in your video, Bacon, where it's like you didn't even remember what you did in Alfheim, and the. I'm going to hazard a guess that the reason you don't remember what you did in Alfheim is because most of the gameplay is just recycled from the last game. You go back to the exact same temple. The difference is that they have that desert area, which was actually pretty good. And in terms of the yeah. plot progression, you go through the temple from the last game, you go into the triptych, uh, Tyr, who was Odin in disguise, sees the true prophecy of Ragnarok, and that was the point of that whole section. The thing I remember most about from that section was uh, <clears throat> there's a gap in the fence over there. There's a gap in the fence over there. <laughs> There's a gap in the fence over there. My dad loves loot. He loves loot. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> that was yeah. funny as well, where they're like, it's kind of cute in a way where they're like, Tyr, <laughs> Tyr, who in retrospect is Odin, which makes us even more hilarious that so Odin is like, why the fuck is Kratos off getting chess? And Atreus is like, oh, my dad just likes to do that. It actually is kind of funny in retrospect, knowing that that was Odin. I, it's okay, like, when playing back through, I was like, okay, now you know that that's Odin. So you're like looking for little things. And there's nothing like crazy, but there are like moments where you're like, oh, this is Odin. And he's getting pissed because Kratos is off grabbing stuff instead of going and like showing him the prophecy. It is kind of, it does kind of recontextualize it, at least parts of it. Well, it is here. funny you say that because um, at a certain point in the game earlier on, I did get spoiled on that plot point. So oh. I I was connecting those dots pretty early on. Um, at that point, I didn't know Tyr was Odin, but I think shortly after leaving Alfheim, I got like a, there's a fucking YouTube thumbnail floating around where like all the bosses it, and wreck. I, I don't know. It like, I got spoiled in some way by a YouTube thumbnail that it was that Odin was Tyr and I'm not like entirely mad about it though, because like it allowed me to appreciate the setup they do for that reveal. Yes. So, uh, well, um, but it gave me an entirely different perspective on the build up to that reveal and it made it cool. Yeah. So I was lucky that I didn't have that spoil for me because that was the best, one of the best parts of the game for me, uh, to, to add to the list. The part that I was spoiled on though, uh, was I was trying to remember what Throod's name was. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the mm. God of War wiki and go to Thor's uh, page because, oh, yeah, Thor, uh, you know, he's going to have like a section of like family. And I was scrolling down, scrolling down. It's just like status. Deceased. Dead, killed by Odin. I'm like, 
Are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? <laughs> I'm have to I'm gonna have to okay. like play the entire game waiting for that. So speaking of the th- the tier Odin twist, like I think we would all agree knew that it was an effective vegetables. I think we would all agree that it was an effective twist in that it was properly set up and if you it wasn't spoiled for you, it was legitimately surprising, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All on the same page mm-hmm. there. Yeah. In retrospect, yeah. I it, it comes That's off as it. and I'm sorry to say this, a subversion of expectations. He said the me. Where you, where you think that Tyr is going to unite the armies against Ragnarok and overcome his being tortured by Odin and, you know, like have a big grand character arc, but then he doesn't do anything for hours. And then, oh, spoilers, it's the bad guy. He stabs Brock and then he doesn't even get away with the mask. So there, and I think this is what you meant, uh, Bacon, when you're like, there's like no immediate threat to go after Odin at that point. Like the only reason. Ragnarok happens is that because he stabs Brock and they want revenge pretty much where it's like, okay, we've put up with Odin abusing the nine realms for so long. It's, it's high time. He was put to justice. That's the reason that Ragnarok happens, Mm -hmm. but it, it just feels like that would have landed much better if he got away with the mask and it was like, okay, it's only a matter of time before Odin uses the mask and does something terrible. We got to go stop him now. That would have added a lot of tension leading up into the final climax, but instead it's just kind of like, I don't know, we have the mask, Brock's dead, I guess. I don't know, I guess we'll go after Odin now. The Ragnarok felt like, eh, I guess this is going to happen now, instead of like, fuck yeah, Ragnarok's coming. You guys know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like if Odin got away with the mask, and then, you know, in the final sequence, the mask kind of amounted to something, maybe it, you know, maybe he was able to look into the void and then that gave him some ultimate power or whatever to where suddenly it's like oh crap we're all gonna die that would have been yes that that would have at least been something to make ragnarok as an event more effective than it was yeah and speaking of the mask Mm -hmm. it was pretty obvious to me or at least this is what i thought was going to happen i I think tear or maybe it was mimir said something about Oh, yes, uh, while Odin was asleep, he heard a voice in his dreams that told him about the mask in the void, and he was obsessed with it ever since. I totally thought that voice was going to be Athena, and that the final boss was going to be Athena. They open up that rift, and I want to even say that the language on the mask was Greek, so it would have made perfect sense. And I was waiting for the scene where Atreus hands Kratos the mask, and he's like, wait a minute, this mask has Greek on it. It's Athena. It's totally going to be Athena. Uh, Atreus just snaps the mask in half and that's it. Somehow, Athena has returned. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> they would have made all the sense in the world, but it's just like, I get it. The idea is that Atreus Athena was is, brought. It, Atreus is promised with like ultimate power or knowledge or whatever and has the strength of will to resist it. That was the point of him destroying the yeah. mask. He doesn't take the cheap shortcut. He resists Odin's temptation. But it's like, in terms of a climax, that was very unsatisfying because we spent hours putting that mask together and it amounts to nothing in the plot. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so it's I was like, I really enjoy Odin and Thor as characters. I really yep. love them, actually. But I was dissatisfied by both of their conclusions so much that it kind of soured me on them because, like, Odin, I think, is the way they build him up. I'm like, 
I really am fascinated by him. Like, I, I obviously think he's a bad dude, you know? He's, like, he's yeah. oppressing the Nine Realms or whatever, but, like, he's such a fascinating, like, presence, and I, I think it's cool how, like, him being such a dick has affected his family in a profound way, but he's not, yes. like, just an evil dude. It's, like, an obsession. It's, like, the type of character he is is just he doesn't tolerate failure and he keeps people at arm's length and he constantly gaslights and manipulates people to do what he wants. And he's so fucking paranoid that it's just <laughs> a really interesting archetype. Um, and I love how it bleeds into his family and makes Heimdall a fucking huge dick that I was glad to fucking murder. And it made Thor, especially in his family. So like, I really, really wanted Thor to redeem himself. And then he just gets fucking stabbed. <laughs> I was like, immediately. Okay. <laughs> he does kind that's, of himself still, though. That's that's what we call a subversion of expectations. He does. I do, I'm not saying he doesn't redeem himself, but like I expected him to do a little more. But like it's fine the way they take this direction of the story. It's whatever. But it's a, it's a little bit unsatisfying. Yes, the way that Odin just kind of kills him, and then they're like, okay, I guess Thor's dead. Wouldn't it have been fantastic? Because like at the end of the game after the battle. You wake up in that cave and then you come across Sif and Thrud. And by the way, Sif feels like she had like a complete heel turn where she's like, I hate you, Atreus. You killed my sons. And then by the end of the game, she's just like, oh, hi, Atreus. And and she's the one who convinces Thrud <laughs> that Odin's the bad guy at the end. It just felt like that happened way too quickly and stuff happened off yeah. screen. Keeps, but, um, it keeps going back to the fact that Ragnarok as an event was undercooked. And then afterwards you come up with them through and Sifra by the campfire wouldn't it have been fantastic if thor survived the battle and like he really took to heart what kratos said about you know don't be sorry be better and he's like i'm committed to raising my daughter and living with my family wouldn't that have been fantastic absolutely but we don't get that because he just gets killed like i I don't even necessarily mind if Thor dies in the end. Is I just the way that it plays out just feels so like unsatisfying. Like you get to see one quarter of his shoulder fall over in like three seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it doesn't feel. It feels like he's on the cusp, and it, the moment the light switch is in his head, and he's like, "I got to do something about Odin." He just dies. <laughs> Yep. Like unceremoniously is fucking shanked by Odin. And like, I, I don't know, like that's a way to do it, I guess. But it's just, and, and to have it followed up by the Odin boss fight being pretty fucking underwhelming um, mm. and hit, just dealing with him right away, I, it, it left a sour taste in my mouth for Ragnarok overall, which I was like really looking forward to. So, yeah, who was it who made the joke that it was like the final boss was essentially a man, a woman, a child, and a severed head beat up an old man? uh old old man uh commits generational trauma at cloud Mm. uh one other question we've established that odin can bring back the ain her yar as much as he wants uh why doesn't he bring magni and modi back from valhalla they're not mortal is is that it yeah because uh in i believe in greek mythology uh mortals who die nobly in battle are the ones who are able to be brought back as in Harriar. I'm pretty sure, I'm almost 100% sure that if you are a god, you cannot be brought back as an in Harriar. Okay. So, <clears throat> if you're a god or some other deity figure, you don't go to Valhalla when you die, even yeah. if you die in battle. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Well, that's a question I had that's answered. Um, <clears throat> Ray, comment section doesn't need to fill in the gaps. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, okay. To, to, to be fair, I am, I'm talking cynically about the comment section. I, I'm doing a bit. I'm not actually that cynical about the comment section, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. He hates you guys. He told me. Okay, let's see. I had more notes on my phone. Some of them are insufferable. <laughs> uh, let's be you, honest. You know well. who you are. Oh, the whole setup for Fimble Winter is that Balder dies because he's the god of light. So when he dies, long winter comes. You kill like four gods in this game. What are what is what's going to be the consequences of that? Because when you play God of War three, every god you kill, it's like it like just ravages Greece. Like you kill Poseidon and tidal waves ram over Greece and you, you kill Helios and a swarm of a pestilence descends upon the land and kills everybody through like disease. You kill like three gods of this game and like what's the consequences of that? Asgard is destroyed. No, there is no hope. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess so. I guess that kind of brings I don't up, really know. I guess that kind of brings up the question of like, you know, what exactly did we kill the gods of, you know, because it was like Obviously, Heimdall, he's the one who controls the Bifrost. Is just Bifrost just not a thing anymore? And um, Thor is the god of thunder, so you'd think that would have like some kind of effect on the weather, maybe? Yeah. Did there be like a famine because the rain's not coming or something? Like, that's, but, that's to be fair, that is really a nitpick. It doesn't really matter. I, I just thought of that, so I wanted to share that. Well, also, too, like, uh, in that regard... What exactly about Balder made Fimble Winter happen other than the fact that it was prophesized? Like, what exactly did Balder have in connection to Fimble Winter? Uh, he's the god of light. Okay, I guess that makes so, sense. So, like, uh, when you have less light, you have less warmth from the sun, therefore a long winter that lasts for three years, I guess. Uh, that would be my okay. personal guess. <clears throat> and then finally, I wanted to talk about themes, because there's a lot of stuff that this attempts to tackle. Uh, fate and prophecy is one of my favorite themes when done right. I think it's, you're a fan of it as well, King, because that's a big thing in Xenoblade, apparently, is fate and prophecy. I mean, it's sort of in Xenoblade 1, yeah. And, um, it's, it's one of the reasons why Kung Fu Panda 2 is one of my favorite films, because it's a nice exploration of the theme of fate. This game says, tr pays a lot of lip service to the theme of fate, but what ultimately does it say about it? Like, what's the point? What's it trying to tell us? Fate's a load of balls, basically. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's one way you could potentially interpret it. If I was to give a good faith stab at it, it would seem to be that fate is generally a series of self-fulfilling prophecies. Because in, in every case, it's like the whole reason that Balder hates his mom and tries to kill her is because Freya went to the Norns to ask about his future and they told him, yeah, he's going to die. So she made him immune to all pain, but that also meant he couldn't feel anything, which means that he hated her, which means that he dies because Kratos tries to protect her from Balder. And then in this game, you have the only reason that Atreus wants to prevent Ragnarok and goes to Asgard is because he's told the prophecy about what will happen. His father is going to die. So he wants to prevent that. But if he hadn't been told that, he wouldn't have done that in the first place. And he didn't actively seek that information out in the first place. Angraboda just showed it to him. So, and the only reason they make the drop near spear is for the same reason. So it's just like self-fulfilling prophecy. That seems to be the point of it, I guess. And the Norns talk about how the future is not immutable. It's more like 
people are, they can read people very easily and predict what they will do under many different circumstances. Like, I guess they predicted that Freya would come to them and ask them about Balder and what the consequences of that would be if she naturally cares about her son's well-being. And that's how that whole happened. But you could easily make the, the argument that if the Norns had just told her something different, she wouldn't have done that in the first place. It's kind of a mess. I think what they're trying to say with the whole, you know what I found really confusing and kind of annoying is that we clearly see this image of Kratos is dying on his back and Atreus is trying to like comfort him in his last moments. We see that image. That never happens during the Battle of Ragnarok and they don't really explain why. Well, I, I, I interpret that whole uh, sequence like is essentially a setup by, by Faye. Like she specifically had those uh, images made to essentially make them work against what they think their fate is so that they could achieve what they truly what what their true well, fate yeah, I was. I thought that was the the point was that Faye made it okay in a way. Because I was confused that, by that. Because um, they do say that. But I want to say that what they actually said, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong about this, is they see that triptych at the very end of the game after the battle is over. And they say something about, oh, Faye destroyed the real one or something like that, didn't they? I think so. But Angerboda had the same prophecy. Did Angerboda also make that up? She drew that herself. Well, I, I feel like she, where did she, like, does she see the future and that's why she draws them? Or is she drawing them from the ones that she's seen from her that were made by other people? Well, she's a giant, so presumably she's been to Jotunheim. So presumably she saw well, she that was in prophecy when you as well. Meet her. Mm-hmm. Ironwood is in Jotunheim, so... Mm-hmm. I guess she could have gone to the giant's fingers. Well, is that prophecy in Jotunheim the real one? That's that's what's confusing about it. Is uh, they say something about Faye did something to change their fate, but it wasn't it wasn't clear, or I might have missed or misread the dialogue or something because I was really confused about that. I think okay, if we're gonna run with what you're saying, is that okay? It's a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah. Maybe the idea is that it didn't come true because. Kratos like spared Thor and took this new direction. That's Whereas see, that's my interpretation. Because like yeah. the Norns clearly say the reason that fate seems so immutable is because we can read you easily and we know what you will most likely do in every situation. And I think the idea is the turning point and why Kratos doesn't die is because during the Battle of Ragnarok, he decides, wait a minute, I actually should feel sympathy for these Midgardians and try to help them out and try to seek justice, not vengeance. That's the turning point, and that's the reason he doesn't die, is because he does something that the Norns didn't expect him to do, right? It seems mm-hmm. like the logical idea, but, like, there's not really any closure for that. Like, I really wanted the Norns to show up after the battle and say, you did something we didn't expect, and that's why you didn't die. But that doesn't happen, so we're just kind of left to, like, try to piece together what happened, which can be fun in its own way, but it's... It felt kind of half cooked. I don't know. I don't know. The fact that the true kind of prophecy, quote unquote, was revealed at the end there makes me think that makes me think that there was some something that Faye did to manipulate uh manipulate Kratos and Atreus by giving them kind of a uh a false start, essentially. You know, I'm not the, yeah, the, the Angraboda thing kind of does kind of throw some it is kind of a monkey wrench in that, but it is definitely something that's it's kind of obtuse to think about, definitely. Yeah. 
And this game also has a theme of generational trauma, which is the whole thing with Odin. Odin treats his children like shit, which, uh, again, Tyr and Baldur were also his children, so he didn't exactly... I think he seemed to like Baldur the most, because he... He was the prettiest. Like, he treats his children like shit, and then Thor treats his children like shit. And because of that, they, you know, that's kind of why Modi dies in the end, because he got Thor beat the crap out of him. Presumably, this is back when Thor was still a raging alcoholic. And the reason he's a raging alcoholic is because he has a shitty father. And I think that was supposed to be the point of Gryla was generational trauma. They were trying to and there's also a theme of like how loss changes people that sort of relates to Freya and then the whole theme of vengeance. It's like this game has all of these themes, but it ultimately doesn't really say anything about them, which is kind of frustrating because it's like, what does it say about fate? What does it say about vengeance and justice? What does it say about generational trauma? Like we have all this stuff and it just seems like if they had picked one or two of them and really focused on it, they could have made something really special. And that's kind of what I meant earlier when I said it's one of those things where the more you think about it, the worse it gets. And why I said, I really do think it is a case of they bit off more than they can chew. They tr- they wanted to put all of this stuff in this game. And it's like, no matter how smart you are and how many writers you have working with you, when you kind of go so over scope like this and try to talk about so many different things, you're not going to be able to talk about each of them in detail or give each of them a satisfying conclusion, which is why a lot of it just seems kind of like it's rambling about things. Yeah. And... I definitely agree with that. Like, I definitely think it's one of those, as I said earlier, like, it's one of those games that the more you think about it, the longer you take a step back, you start to notice the more cracks in the design. And that also plays into, like, the, uh, the, the, how everybody is kind of has a similar progression and how they feel just at different levels. But for me, that also doesn't change the fact that that doesn't nullify how I felt while playing the game. And I Mm -hmm. think that's the big differentiating factor is like, is this game does it make you feel or is it compelling enough that it can make you overlook these issues for me? Yeah, I'd say so. I feel like I'd say so as well, but obviously those issues mean that I don't love the game and I don't really have much desire to return. But I I would say that like, I liked what they were doing enough to not come out of it with like uh, an overall Mm -hmm. negative impression of it. Um, despite not really feeling very attached to a lot of the things it tries to do. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I've been a bit more cynical about it. I I can appreciate that it seems like a lot of people it resonated quite a bit. I gotta admit, by the halfway through, I was pretty miserable. I'd gone in pretty excited, and I was excited with the beginning, but it just felt more and more by the end, I was like, I was very disappointed. Like I said, obviously, more power to people who enjoyed it. And it's like, I feel bad that I have so many things I can poke holes at. Because, like, I, I do legitimately think this is a good game, perhaps even a great one. And that in many ways, it does improve on the last one, like tightening up the pace of combat. And, like, I, I did go back to Data Boy, and I was surprised to find, like, that, that whip move was, like, mapped to a different button and felt much better in Ragnarok because of the way that they changed the controls around and stuff. And uh, there were some interesting new puzzle ideas. And I really liked the drop near spear. It was, it took a little long to come into play, but it was a fun weapon to use. And it's what I killed Odin with, you know, it's, this game has a lot of good things going for it, but it's like, 
it's one of the it is like like you said tgx it's one of those things where you have all these things you can pick at it's just kind of what you make of it and what you prioritize and what you want out of a game like this yeah so it definitely bit off more they could comfortably chew yeah as an aside i don't know if you remember that shrine in alpine then they think it's tear that's leading them because he has the spear Mm. i had forgotten that it was like the big deal that's tear because of the spear then you kind of accidentally end up making one for Kratos, and of course it's him. Well, I think the irony is that Odin wields a spear in battle, and it's sort of foreshadowing that that's actually Odin. Are you sure? Yeah, Odin uses a spear. Yeah, I know, but it was... <laughs> and in I a don't... sense, Odin does rally the, uh, the armies of Ragnarok. because suppose he, it does make sense, he, too. After his cover is blown, he kills Brock. I don't know, I don't really have anything else to say about this game, unless if you gentlemen do, or we can wrap up. Not really. Eric? Mm, no, I was just... I was guess, guess I was going to say, just echoing what was said, one thing that really annoyed me is I, I get annoyed when there are characters who are supposed to be really smart and calculating, and then they just act like mm. kind of idiots, and I kind of feel that way about Odin. Um, and that was <laughs> kind of disappointing, but that's just kind of echoing what we said before, uh, being a little bit annoyed at the end. I just feel like, okay, you have this, this guy who's all about control and knowledge and has been preparing this for hundreds of years. <laughs> he just kind of shows up and gets on. But I guess you could say it's because of his obsession and prophecy and all that. I don't know. It's kind of yeah. just rehashing what we're already talking about. Also, I'm, I think one thing that it wasn't bad. Like, I can't argue that's bad. I'm curious about how you guys feel about Sindri. Like, I don't think it was bad, but it was very, uh... Okay. I don't know. My favorite... The dwarves were my favorite characters. It is kind of, like, tragic. I'm more interested in where they go with that, if they do anything with that ever again, than the Atreus well, uh, Marvel-collecting sen- spinoff. <laughs> yeah, I'm sensing, yeah, Loki, uh, a Loki spinoff, and I'm sure Sindri will probably play into that a bit. Um, personally... Punish Sindri is the villain. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, personally, I th- I thought that I get the idea is that he's so racked by grief that he lashes out against those that mean the most to him. But to me, it was pretty obvious that what happened was Odin's fault and not Atreus's. I have no idea why he's so mad at Atreus and Kratos. Like, it just felt kind of forced Atreus to me. is like, especially replaying it, you see how much Sinji kind of gets tossed around. Oh, I guess like, that's true. Yeah. Like, going back through, you realize he gets, from beginning to end, basically, he's, like, showing constant annoyance at people continually being invited into his clean house. He's getting mauled. He's getting pelted with snowballs by four out of four players. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I do kind of get it. Like, a, like it's easy to ignore that stuff, but be like, oh, oh that's funny. It's part of the joke. But then you kind of realize that he's treated like shit all game. But, yeah, it was it was kind of... I don't know. I thought it was, it was just, I wouldn't say it's bad or, or, or kind of feels unsatisfying, but I don't think that's fair to say. Like, it's not like, a, to me, it doesn't feel, it isn't bad, but I'm just like, I was like part of my, I don't know, it's one of my favorite characters and uh, him and Brock. And then I'm left with like, oh, and that's why I was originally going to do all the side stuff. And I started doing all the side stuff, like the whale and the hack. Mm. But by the end of the game, I'm like, okay. My friends are dead, and there's a, a little southern lady that I don't remember the name of, 
And that's well, who's greeting me at every turn. Lunda, and she has a Midwestern accent. I don't know. She I sounds like, like a Minnesotan. Even worse. Minnesotan? I do, I do want to say that the quest where you get the ball for Lunda is, and Kratos' reaction to that made me <laughs> laugh a lot. I really love that. Yep. Yeah, that's cute. <laughs> I liked the side quest where uh, Kratos right. helps Freya destroy her wedding stuff. It's a nice way to yeah. sort of help her transition and leave the past behind her. It made like in terms of forgiving Kratos being a process, that's a good way to go about that. I think my favorite side quest was uh, freeing the giant uh, jellyfish. Mm, yes, the hot. That was uh, yeah, that was very good. Because that was just like I mean, it, it was really it literally was just like a, a thing that was only put in story wise to help Atreus and Kratos bond. It's just like oh what. You don't have to do all this stuff just to make me forget about Ragnarok. Don't you think he wants to just spend some time with you, boy? Yeah. That's a terrible, yeah. terrible Mimir impression. Oh, the biggest disappointment about this game like is that you. Kratos doesn't call Mimir head anymore. I thought that was hilarious in the last game. I laughed. <laughs> That's tragic. I laughed every well, single time he did it. Head. Oh, well, uh, in one of the... I, I didn't get this far, but in one of the side quests that appear after the game's finished, he actually calls Mimir brother at one point. And that's yeah. That's one of those things where I I didn't get a chance to experience that myself, but I saw it and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> he says it he says it all slow too. He's like, brother. <laughs> he does, Kratos like writes some of the journal entries like describing the new characters. And it does say in the entry for Mimir, he's mm. like, this is one of the people I would call brother. And that's at the beginning of the game. So I guess they just bonded a lot during Fimblewinter. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's pretty much it. Some of those are funny, the ones written by Kratos. <laughs> you, oh, you, I know you were talking to me, but he mentions the, uh, the boat cap. <laughs> Actually expresses regret. Actually expresses regret about the boat captain thing. I have business back cool. up on the surface. And he kicks him into the the pits of Hades. <laughs> yeah. If I may give my little conclusion. Oh, sure. Go ahead. I think I, I think one thing that Eric has, you know, definitely uh, shown is that there are plenty of legitimate reasons to not like this game. And I think that's true. I think Ryan is another person with plenty of legitimate reason not to like this. And I think it's all just a matter of perspective. I don't think there's... Even as the raging fanboy that I am, there are definitely things I like, definitely things I don't like. I just think there is a contingent of people out there who will give the, who won't even give these games a chance, claiming they're just glorified walking simulators, uh, just, uh, this and that. And I think that's, there are a lot of bad faith arguments about these games. And I do just, not request, more so just wish that discussion about this game was generally more about what it succeeds and fails at rather than what it isn't or what people want uh, people, you know, want it to be or rather than what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Totally. It's some of the, I think I would have probably, if I, I think part of it, I'm curious how you guys feel about this. Something I historically would try not to get excited about games because it would get my expectations too high or I'd be let down. But then I kind of realized that then you're just a miserable bastard all the time. <laughs> so I tried to get excited for games more, like let myself be more excited. And I keep getting disappointed again. <laughs> so I'm wondering, like, if I 
like wasn't because this is one of the few games that I was kind of really excited for in the days leading up. I was like, oh, I'm I'm legitimately excited for this. Um, And I'm wondering if that didn't play to it. Like my expectations were just too high because really like if you look at it, you take a step back. A lot of the game, like all the elements are like pretty good, at least. Some people would maybe say like great or, or better than that. Obviously, it's technically pretty extraordinary, but I don't know. I'm just wondering if I went into it with the wrong idea. Idea. Are there, how do you guys feel about getting excited for games? Well, I'm just a sourpuss by nature. So, like, I don't, <laughs> this is one of two games I've been excited about in like the past 10 years. I think you're, <clears throat> it's something I don't worry about much because you're pretty much damned if you do and damned if you don't, like you said. So, it's like, if I feel, if something excites me, then it's going to excite me. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I do worry sometimes if I get really excited for something and it lets me down. But I guess that's just a fact of life because it's kind of hard to control that, at least in my experience. Yeah. And I guess my counterpoint, Eric, is that I had no expectations for Bayonetta 3 and I was still disappointed. <laughs> Woohoo! The zinger. <laughs> Look forward to that one in the end of your podcast. Oh boy. Anyways, um, unless we have anything, unless we have anything else to say, I think uh, we're about ready to wrap up here. Bacon, sir, where can we find you? All right. Um, well, uh, just to finish off my point earlier, I just want discussion. I just wish and want discussion about this game to be discussed in good faith and not in bad faith. If you want to claim that this is a walking simulator, you have not played the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's my uh, overall point made. So uh, you can find me on uh, the channel Tactical Bacon Productions, uh, where I basically make whatever the hell I want. Sometimes I discuss God of War. Sometimes I discuss Twisted Metal. But uh, I basically, you know, I'll, I'll discuss Grand Theft Auto. Uh, I want to do more Max Payne in the future. Done Just Cause, Infamous, Last of Us, etc., etc., etc. I don't want to shackle myself to any one or two franchises. So yeah, check me out there. Some people also know me by my previous handle on TGX Game Reviews. I don't upload there anymore, but you know, feel free to check that out if you can stomach the cringe. Uh yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. And Eric, of course, doesn't upload, so I won't bother asking you. You can where check out all my socials at, at realchristopherjudge.com, um, on <laughs> Mixer, Facebook, Vine, Instagram, by God of War Rectorock. And, and Christopher here is the leading curator of cancer music content on YouTube. That's true. There's I a almost, giant cancer music playlist you can listen to right now. I almost about that in my speech. Um, <laughs> decided against it due to taste and and cringe that ex- that's ex- that exists out there at the real christopher judge.com nice oh well, thank you all for joining us today hope you enjoyed talking about god of war for three hours and uh yeah we've got our end of year podcast coming up and hope you guys can look forward to that we're gonna talk about a whole bunch of different games i played a lot of games this year so until then uh this I is a few <laughs> until then this is the unverse cast and we'll see you all next time see you
please check out our YouTube channel for playthroughs of our favorite games and video versions of all our podcasts. This episode was edited by yours truly, Exoparadigm Gamer. Check out the links in the description to follow each of us on YouTube, Twitter, and more. Thank you all very much for watching our podcast, and we'll see you all next time.